Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to the program. It's me, Jeff Gerstmann, here, your host, for this week's edition of The Jeff Gerstmann Show. Uh, nice of them to have me back. I'm happy to be here. Uh, yeah, it's, gosh, this is the 50th episode of the program. I don't know if that's a meaningful number, because 52 would be a year, right? So it's like, hey... You doing? You just celebrating fifty episodes, or are you celebrating a year? I guess it's all kind of rolled into one. But here we are. We've done fifty of these dang things, and that's pretty wild. So uh, here we are. It's exciting. Um, what's going on here? Hey, uh, hey, you want an ad-free version of this show? I should probably tell people that I, I'm I'm uh, patently terrible at, at reminding people. Uh, but hey, um, we got a Patreon. Over here, it's patreon.com slash Jeff Gerstman, or I guess you can go to enjoyyourgaming.com. I think that still works, if you don't know how to spell my name. Um, get an ad-free version of the program. Uh, you can also sign up. Uh, there's additional tiers. You get hot bonus content. Uh, the Jeff Gerstman Hall of Fame. New episodes debut there first. Of course, the the podcast that's burning up the world, that's setting the world on fire. Game Boys to Men, exclusively available on that Patreon. It's a lot of talk about video games in the 90s. Um, or the video game industry in the 90s, I suppose. We were there, uh, myself and Glenn Rubenstein, were there covering it to the best of our ability. Which is to say, not particularly well, because I was 19 and it was my first job and I was uh, dumb. <laughs> so, as opposed to now, when I'm still, I mean, I'm still dumb, but you know. Um, but I've been doing this long enough that I can hide it a little better. Uh, so yeah, you can check that out. That'd be uh, pretty awesome. Thanks to everyone for, I mean, you know, regardless of how you're, Hey, if you're watching on Twitch and you're subscribing on Twitch or you're just following on Twitch or you're, you know, whatever, if you're on YouTube, we're on YouTube, we're on YouTube. We got a youtube.com page with videos up on it. All of that stuff. Uh, if you're subscribe, if you're liking and subscribing over there, that's fantastic too. No matter what, you get, you know, just uh, whatever, whatever you can do. I know not everyone, I, I've given, there's been a handful of emails lately from people going like, hey, I, I can't support the show financially. What can I do? And like, well, you know, I don't know. There's the Amazon Prime Twitch subs. That's a thing. There's, you know, but if you're just, it just, you know, hey, download the show. Every little bit helps. Tell your friends, actually, is probably the right answer to that question. Let them know that we're over here doing it big on the brand. As they say. <laughs> um, anyway, oh, I gotta close this. I gotta close the web browser tab. Um, video games—they started coming out. It's a really interesting relationship that this industry sometimes has with uh, with video with new releases. Where like big games come out and suddenly there's just way less news. <laughs> um and uh yeah, this this is this is such a week, right? Um But to start off, I ended up getting this yesterday. I don't I don't know what it was that drove me to this. I think I've just wanted to feel it for a very long time, and I don't want to open up an existing controller to do it or whatever. So I ended up purchasing a controller that has Hall Effect joysticks on it. Um, because I wanted to see what the, you know, the lack of drift and all of the electromagnetic magnets doing magnetic things and, and all of that sort of stuff. And, uh, and so I picked up this, 
uh, which is getting a little bit blown out in the lights here because uh, I got the white one instead of the black one. Uh, it is a controller from the people at, was it, Ghoulie Kit? Ghoulie Kit? Ghoulie Kit. G-U-L-I-K-I-T. This is the uh, this controller, man. This is this uh, showed up with a little bit uh, more Chinese on it than I thought. Um, and uh, yeah, this is the this is the King Kong. Pro, the, this is completely blown out by the lights. It's the King Kong Pro, King Kong Two Pro controller. Uh, I don't know. I just got it on Amazon. It's like seventy bucks. Um, and I don't know. The main draw for it again is these Hall Effect sticks. So when you they talk about like oh. The sticks on a PlayStation controller, of course, on the Switch controllers, the way they drift and all of that stuff over time and how much of a nightmare that is. Um, it's because of the style of sticks they're using and, and there are there is a solution to it. And it's these Hall Effect sticks that are that use magnets in some fashion to kind of prevent that forever. Um, and uh, or that's the idea anyway. And you can buy, like, this same company even actually just sells parts. So if you want to bust open your Switch controllers and replace the joysticks with these Hall Effect sticks, you can do that. Um, People make Hall Effect sticks that you can slap into a Steam Deck. Like, it's kind of becoming sort of a thing, I guess. I don't know. Um, But the idea is that it is uh, a little more accurate response, a little more kind of a reliable um, than the the what the the pots that go into normal uh normal uh sticks these days um and so i got my hands on it it is it is you know it is primarily built for switch which so part of it was like i hate the like and i i i hate the pro controller the switch pro controller is garbage the d-pad on it feels like trash the buttons don't feel good it's like people are like oh no the pro controller is fine like no you are being fooled it's because the Joy-Cons are so terrible that you're like, this Pro Controller's fantastic. What is this, a Ritz? Mm-hmm. Like that, it's, no. It's a bad controller. But it's the only a decent official option. Uh, and so people fall over themselves and go, like, oh, no, the Pro Controller's great. Like, you're, no. No. Um, so I've tried a few different third-party options, primarily on the Switch. Uh, I bought an 8-bit dough, kind of, it's like the SNES controller that has analog sticks on it, and that worked pretty well, but, um, you know, it's, uh, primarily I used that for my mister for a long time, um, and I guess that's the other thing, is I, you know, I'm not really playing a ton of of Switch games either, um, so with Zelda coming out, it was like a reminder of just like, I hate, all these control options are so bad, um, and so I bought this, this actually will do Amiibo, like, it, it, it has motion control stuff, and it will... You can tap Amiibos to it, which, again, like not that big a deal. Not why I bought it, but it's kind of nice that it at least seems to fully support the Switch, um, you know, uh, options and, and, and all of that. So um, so this also has Hall effects on the analog triggers, which is kind of cool, uh, or at least in theory. And it's got a bunch of weird options where you can, like, turn up the sensitivity on the triggers by holding these buttons down and, you know, like a, like a bunch of other stuff like that. When I first got it out of the package... And grabbed it. I was like, oh no, these sticks feel too loose. I like a slightly tighter analog stick, generally speaking. But, um, well, I'll get into it. Uh, the, the, the sticks felt a little, a little on the loose side for my tastes at first. And I was like, oh man, you, 
the buttons feel okay. The D-pad is, it is not the quietest D-pad in the world, but it is relatively quiet um, and uh, and feels pretty decent. I don't much care for the button placement on the start and select, the plus and minus that they have here in relation to how far you have to move your thumb to get there in games where that's a thing that matters, which is not that many in the grand scheme. But, uh, but yeah, and then it's got another button where it will record macros for you and play them back and some other stuff that I don't, I don't know that I'm ever going to bother using. Uh, because it'll toggle between Switch, and then it also has X input mode. It has a direct input mode. Uh, and then there's just like an iOS. Like if you want to tether it to your phone, there's a mode kind of built for that. It's Bluetooth, but I'm using it wired because I don't trust wireless and also, I'm sitting right here next to a USB cable. Um, and so, yeah, I, I went into it pretty skeptical. I pulled it out of the box, and I was like, I don't I don't think I like the way these analog sticks feel. And kind of my go-to for analog stick stuff these days has kind of become Call of Duty uh, and Trackmania um, in terms of just like, hey, there's going to be, you're going to, there's like slightly precision movements you're going to want to perform here. Um, and you're going to want to line up headshots and, and so on and so forth. And, and so I fired that up and I was actually kind of blown away. <laughs> um, like the, the sticks feel really nice on it. Like I'm, I, I feel like I am lining up shots more effectively with more subtle movements and, uh, and, and actually aiming quite well. Um, and, and, and I, I was very surprised by that again, cause the, the looseness of the sticks initially, I was just like, ah, it's going to be too flimsy. I'll be flipping it too hard back and forth. But, but actually I, I'm kind of into it. I was very surprised. Um, and then I fired up some track mania and kind of had the same result of just like, yeah, I mean, you have to kind of rein it in a little bit. If you're just like, uh, 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 whatever, then, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's going to do that, but, but it's. If you're kind of, you know, very uh, subtle, very, uh, um, if you're if you're going for precision, I, I think that there's a good precision to this controller. Um, that kind of caught me off guard, to be honest. I'm gonna keep messing with it a little bit, so you know, this isn't necessarily me saying run out and buy one of the, you know or whatever, but um, but I it's it's seventy bucks, you know normal controller price these days i guess uh and i have not tried the d-pad out on it yet in a in a game anyway than a game that uses the d-pad so um so i kind of have to do some of that the d-pad i'll say feels a little bit tight is it xbox compatible i don't know that it is i don't know that you can actually plug it into uh an xbox it will work on a switch but i don't think it's i don't know that it plugs into a playstation or an xbox uh directly so yeah. Um and yeah, and it does have the gyro stuff. Uh I've been using it on PC. That's that's primarily where I will use it. But I but I got it thinking like, oh, I'll use it to play Zelda. But it turns out I'm probably only gonna play Zelda undocked uh before bed. In bed. So I, I you know, unless I want to set it up somewhere and you know, set it somewhere where I can see it and then use a controller to do it. I, I don't know about that. Yeah. But um but yeah, I can let me look it up and see what they're actually saying in terms of support for consoles because I don't not every controller that supports X input um works on an Xbox. 
So, you know, that's, you should, you should know that going in. Um, yeah, no, what they're saying, it works on Switch, PC, Android, Mac OS, and iOS. Like, that's their, they're kind of, yeah, so kind of Switch and PC are the, the kind of big platforms there. Um, and... Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, again, it's the, what is it? It's the Ghoulie Kit King Kong. <laughs> Such a dumb, King Kong 2 Pro Controller. Uh, a very silly ass name. Um, but again, like, like very promising out of the box. I, I was, I was pretty surprised. I had to update the firmware on it, which, you know, you need to hold down some buttons to get it to pop up a USB drive and, and so on and so forth. But, um, but so far, so good. I don't know. I, I had been using a PlayStation 5 controller on my PC, and that had been working out fine. But I might drop that for this. Uh, I might drop that for this. I don't know. It's, uh, yeah, I'm not really, I'm not really much for, for 30, or for, for, uh, for third-party controllers, because generally they've been pretty janky over the years. But, but this actually feels pretty good. Like I said, I just kind of need to mess with the D-pad a little bit and see uh and see how it, it holds up it feels a little stiff to the touch but i haven't really um you know put it through its uh put it through its paces you don't like the nintendo button layout yeah it's ba instead of ab well that's again this white controller if i turn off the light maybe you'll be able to see it better um it does have nintendo ordering on the buttons but i'm pretty sure well i i, I think they're selling buttons so i think you could theoretically crack it open and move them around if you wanted to. I don't know. Um, and, uh, yeah, I don't know. Would you still need DS4 windows with this controller? No, it's, uh, it's got X input. So it rings up as thinking it's an Xbox controller or, you know, you can, uh, if you connect it in switch mode, you will get access to the gyro in, applications that may support that i guess um but uh yeah you can kind of connect it a few different ways and depending on you know how you're hooking it up and what you're doing you may need to use some sort of shim in the middle there like steam would do all of that um for sure but yeah i don't know i uh, i i came away from it very surprised because i thought it was going to be like this is going to be a really middling controller but surely it would be better than the pro controller so i can at least use it to play zelda um but uh but yeah uh i I'm, i might just I'm, i might just make that my primary pc controller we'll see uh why don't we take a quick break we'll come back we'll talk about humanity we'll talk about zelda we'll crack open a beverage uh and and so on and so forth be back in a moment stay tuned did you know that traditional bed sheets can harbor more bacteria than a toilet seat? Ugh. That can lead to acne, allergies, stuffy noses, and, you know, it's gross. It's not, it's not, it's not, your bed is, uh, look, uh, you, your bed is not a toilet. I'm going to wager, you know, I don't want to uh, harsh, I mean, if whatever you're into, you're into, but generally speaking, your bed is not your toilet seat. You want it to be clean. That's why this Miracle Made. Miracle Made offers a whole line of self-cleaning, eco-friendly bedding, such as sheets, pillowcases, and comforters that prevent 99% of bacteria and require three times less laundry. That's powerful. What else is going on? They've got self-cooling properties for a better quality of sleep. 
using silver-infused fabrics originally inspired by NASA. Miracle-Made sheets are thermoregulating and designed to keep you at the perfect temperature all night long so you get better sleep every night. And again, they're self-cleaning. That silver infusion can prevent up to 99.7% of bacterial growth, leaving them to stay cleaner and fresher three times longer than other sheets. No more stank odors. Just nice, clean, relaxing, cool sleep. And they're comfortable. That's right. Luxurious comfort and quality. Because if, if it didn't have that, what would be the point, right? But here with Miracle Sheets, you get that luxurious comfort without the high price tag of other luxury brands and feel as nice, if not nicer, than bed sheets used by some five-star hotels. It's better for your skin. Stop sleeping on all that bacteria. Clean sheets means less bacteria to clog your pores and fewer breakouts and other skin problems. Try it now. Go to trymiracle.com slash Jeff to try Miracle Made Sheets today. And hey, you know, Father's Day coming up right around the corner here. It's the perfect way to get someone you love the gift of better and more luxurious sleep. Save over 40% and be sure to use the promo code Jeff at checkout to save even more and get three free towels. Miracle is so confident in their product, it's backed with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you aren't 100% satisfied, you will get a full refund. Upgrade your sleep with Miracle Made. Go to TryMiracle.com slash Jeff and use the code Jeff to claim your free three-piece towel set and save over 40% off. Again, that's TryMiracle.com slash Jeff to treat yourself. And thanks to Miracle Made for sponsoring the podcast. Okay, well, back. Let's uh, talk about some video games. Humanity has come out. This is the uh, latest game published by uh, Enhance, uh, the the studio kind of known for Tetris Effect and uh, Res Infinite and and so on and so forth on down the line. Uh, but it is developed by uh, an external company called The Limited T H A L T D, um, and. There was a demo for this, uh, so you you may have seen it. It is out now. I think it's on one of the PlayStation Plus tiers. If you if you want access to it that way, that is probably if you if you were one of those subscribers, that's probably uh, the easiest way to get your hands on it or whatever. But uh, it is a puzzle game. Uh, it, it you know people keep referencing the PlayStation One and kind of the vibe of puzzle games back on on that platform. Whether it was you know PlayStation One and Two, I guess you know you're intelligent cubes your zide jumbos your you know uh, the, those those fun kind of polygonal 3d puzzle games that uh that were all the rage i want to maybe not the rage but you know there were there were sure a lot of them and they were very particular and uh and cool uh and and so it's kind of hearkening back to that sort of vibe uh it is this kind of cube based environment and you play as a dog and the dog basically, at least out of the gate, has choo-choo rocket-style controls where you can drop down arrows. And what you are doing is you are directing a mob of people. Um, a, a stream of humans will start walking in from a, a mystical doorway or whatever in, into the level. And it's your job to guide them through the level to the exit. And sometimes along the way, there will be a little gold men that you need to collect and make sure that they get to the exit as well. So you... That'll force you to think about uh, innovative ways to go out of your way to make sure you're getting all the gold guys and and so on. And so you can, you know, a- over time you will gain more abilities. I- I'm pretty, I played a bunch of it. 
uh, with a they sent out preview builds and I played a bunch of it and I was like this is awesome and then they updated it to the review build and all the saves went away and so I had to start over and so so I'm uh, not not super deep into it but uh, but the first handful of powers you get are things like again the the ability to direct traffic but also the ability to make them jump and so you have cubes that are you know like you, there's a verticality to it as well you're rotating around the environment um, and and basically trying to find the path for those humans to get through the level. It is uh, a very relaxing kind of experience. I'll say, you know, it's, it's, if you mess up, you can reset very easily and keep your, you, you know, the, 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 the icons that you dropped, you can reset and keep those there if you so desire. So that you don't have to go back. Like if you have some elaborate setup to get the humans to go the way you want them to go, you you don't have to lose all of that. And if you're just like, oh, I screwed this up and the gold guy fell in the trench. And if that happens, I need to start over and do this. Like, it's very easy for you to kind of get that back. And and that's uh, that's pretty cool. That's actually like a really nice kind of quality of life feature for it. It does have VR support. I have not tried it in VR. I went the opposite direction on it. And I've been playing it on the Steam Deck where it runs fantastically. <laughs> um and it's a great Steam Deck game. It is just a a very good kind of, I am going to relax at the end of the day and knock out some puzzles and and or, or create a puzzle. It has a whole like level creation suite and you can upload and share levels to a server. And, you know, it's, it's, the, the creation stuff is actually seems like it'll probably be pretty awesome because... It has like such good sharing tools and like, oh, you can follow a creator who if you like their levels, if you you know, like like all of the kind of standard rating and ranking features that you would want out of a user level thing are are there. So um so that's pretty great. Uh you know, obviously it's it's got its own kind of story and and, and it kind of is is unfolding little bits and pieces of the story as you go. Um and you know, th- that stuff is engaging for sure, but I think seeing what people are going to create and checking out user-made levels and, and all of that, I think that's really cool too. So uh, definitely check out Humanity. Definitely at least go look at a trailer. Like it's, it's pretty straightforward. Like if you look at it, you got, I think you get a, a pretty good sense of what that thing is uh, from from looking at, at some of the trailers and, and, and everything else. But um but yeah, uh, I, I don't know if they have kept that demo around or not. But yes, look up Humanity. It's on Steam. Uh, it is also, like I, like I said, it's on, it on the PlayStation Store. And I think if it's your, yes, if you're PlayStation Plus Extra, or I, it's, I don't know what the tier is, but it is one of the additional tiers or whatever. It's on, it's on there. Um, and um, yeah, absolutely worth a look. Uh, and, and again, uh, I think it runs really great on a steam deck in my experience. So I, I, you know, I think that's, that's probably worth a look there. That is, that is how I intend to play it. Like, again, it's got VR support and I've seen people say like, Oh, this, the, the different perspective that you get on the levels is can make it a lot easier to visualize where you want people to go and, and so on and, and so forth. And I, I think that stuff sounds neat and I'll check it out there someday, I guess. But, um, but for me, that's it's like such an amazing Steam Deck game <laughs> that I'm like, oh yeah, that's that's cool. It does VR too. I don't know. One of these days when I when I plug the the PlayStation VR two back in, if there's ever a, a solid reason to do that, then uh, 
Well, I guess that Cosmic Smash thing will come out eventually. That'll probably that'll probably be good, or at least worth looking at. Um, but yes, definitely, definitely give humanity a look. Um, and then I guess the other big thing is the Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom that came out on Friday. Um, we played some of it on Friday, and I I have been playing an hour or two of it a night kind of since then that's going to be that replaced humanity uh, and humanity and uh, Mario's super Picross for the SNES were the two games I was playing before bed. Uh, and, and so I started uh, kind of working Zelda into that as well. It's a really awesome thing. And I really wish it did more of the things I like and less of the things I didn't like, I guess is my feeling on the legend of Zelda. Uh, I think that everything they've done with the building, everything they've done with like you slapping stuff together and the different ways you can just kind of break all the puzzles and the different ways you can manipulate the game I think that stuff is fantastic. It is so it is so much fun because it creates an environment where you feel like you're getting away with things all the time. You you if you're if you're playing that game right, you feel like you are getting one over on the developers constantly. You're like, "Oh, I put this wood onto this and then we, you know, like cuz if you haven't seen it, like you 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 get access to all these different parts." And you do have the ability to spawn some of those parts in the environment yourself. Um, but it's in, in a lot of cases, especially in the shrines and stuff, it's like you walk into an environment and go, oh, okay, there are things here that I am meant to, to slap together. And you have kind of a, a rudimentary, like it's basic, but it's powerful, I guess I would say. Like the, you can grab an object, pick it up, rotate it, move it near another object, and then glue it to that object to kind of set kind of touch points on on each of the different you know like you know like where do you want to put you want to you take a board and put a fan on the back of it and then throw it in the water and that'll be a raft like that sort of thing you know you are and then you turn on the the fan by hitting it with a weapon you just go club it and then it comes on and then you you fan boat your way across the water and then laugh and laugh you know um but then also you get things like flame emitters and you get you know, you'll, you'll find, uh, you know, wheels, you'll find all sorts of different things in the environment. And I haven't even gotten to the point where and it's, it's sort of the frustrating thing is I just want to build cool, weird shit. And I want to use the, I want to use a full complement of insane gizmos to build ridiculous contraptions and, uh, use that to solve all of the game's problems. Um, but the game adds a lot of progression around a lot of different things. Like everything runs on battery power. And so there's a currency you need to go and collect in order or items you need to collect in order to upgrade your battery strength. And, uh, if you want to spawn things in the environment, that's a finite resource that you need to like, basically items that drop off of enemies when they die. Uh, you throw those into a gotcha machine and then, then the capsules come out and then you're like, okay, well now I have four more fans and three more flame emitters or, or whatever else that I can drop out somewhere along the way. But it's like, it's just enough of a restriction that, um, you know, it forces you to engage with the other systems in the game, kind of the, the way they are built. And so, you know, that is kind of my problem with the game is I 
fucking do not like the combat at all. I, I just, I'm, I, you can slap weapons together and that's like interesting and fun. Um, but like, I just, I don't know the, the, the way the combat it fits into that game. It's cause it's not like it's some weird out of the ordinary combat system. It's Z targeting and you're hopping left to right. It's you're doing your stuff. I just don't really enjoy fighting the enemies in that game. It's not really why I'm there. Uh, and it is kind of dull. I, I think that aspect of the game, like when I have to go do that, when I'm like, Oh, I got to go farm more parts so that I can get more parts so that I can build more things. So I can go do, uh, it's just like, ugh. there's a lot of game. There's a lot of, uh, that game that feels built around this idea of, I need to go out on a hunting or resource gathering run so that later on in the game, I will have enough weird shit to do weird shit with. And so, you know, I've had entire sessions that were just like, I'm going to go get out there and, and fuck people up to go get stuff. And, um, and, and then have to do that. So I, you know, I, I know different parts of the game kind of open up as you go. And so, you know, the, your abilities near the middle to the end of the game are a lot different than they are at the beginning. But, you know, here I am relatively close to the beginning and I just want to build stuff and I want to build bigger and better things. And I see videos of people using parts that I haven't seen yet. And I'm like, Oh man, I really want to, I want to use that. I wish I could do that. And I can't do that. Why can't I do that? Oh, do I just need to play more of the fucking game before I can do that? Like, uh, uh, and so I don't know the, the more I played of it, the more I was like, you know, I, I almost wish that this game had a creative mode, which would be weird. Um, or, or just like, I, you know, everything is done for a reason, right? So everything is done to keep that game in balance. Because I think if you could just like plop down infinite items, that would probably be too much, <laughs> you know, um, in terms of like, hey, you want to get through the game. Hey, you, you need to engage with this content and play through the story like you can already sidestep a lot of stuff. One of your other abilities is the uh, ability to rewind time on an object. They've shown this off before. You've probably seen it. Um, and uh how this works is like the, the the way they they tended to use it was like oh there's a rock falling out of the sky and you can jump on that rock and then rewind that rock so that it becomes an elevator to carrying you up and up and up but then you see people use it in crazy ways where you're like i saw a video earlier today that was like hey if you don't have enough wood to build a full bridge here's what you do you build like your half bridge or whatever and then you pick it up because you can you can make these objects levitate and move them around in space because that's how you rotate them and build and slap things together. And now you place them where they need to go and, and, and whatever else. So if you're like, if you're building a bridge, you need to then place that bridge on the gap, right? So you can move these objects around with your mind or your hand or you know whatever it is, your hand mind. Um, and so you can basically take that object and move it over to the other side of the chasm and then drag it back over to an area where you can get on it or vice versa, the, the order of operations, you know, because you're re rewinding time. So you kind of do the objects, in, the, the movement in reverse, and then cast the rewind, the recall ability on that object, and it goes up and it does all the movements that you just did in reverse. So you jump on it, cast recall, and it will go up and it will carry you across that gap. And you can just walk off and be like, cool, man fuck building a full bridge. I didn't have to build a full bridge. I could just build what I got. And you know, my ability to, to 
make it hover over uh, some area on the other side of the gap was enough for me to get across. And so your ability to do that with the objects that you can move is crazy. Um, and, and, and so I don't know, I've just been building stuff and, and doing shrines and just kind of like walking around and, and, you know, I early game so far, uh, there's just not that much out there. <laughs> it's a lot of empty field. And then you're like, Oh God, this tree is attacking me. That's weird. This, this tree is crawling at me and, and trying to get me, which is ridiculous. Um, and so, yeah, I don't know. I, I think the, the building stuff is super, super fun. And the puzzle, it makes the puzzle solving so open. Uh, and so open to interpretation. And that was one of the best things about the previous game. In, in ways that also almost felt like, uh, you know, people were breaking the game or just like, you know, they're like, they're this this game feels like the developers of Breath of the Wild sat down and watched people making crazy videos and and said, oh, let's just make a game that is that. Let's just make a whole game that rewards that. And, and so it feels very, they don't feel precious about their solutions to the puzzles is I guess my point, right? It doesn't feel like they are ramrodding you. It doesn't feel like there are things in the shrines. And I'm sure that later on, you know, you're probably going to encounter some situations where, yeah, there are some of those, but it feels like that they've come up with what they think is a pretty reasonable solution, but maybe you've got your weird solution that you're doing and it feels like that they are leaving it very open to that they're not like oh in testing we discovered that someone used this weird way to get around this and so we've put a cage around this to prevent people from doing that and 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 it feels very open in that way that's a very bold that feels like a very bold and confident thing for them to do um and i think that that's incredible because i think so many other developers, I think so many other studios would try to ramrod you through their solutions or look at things and go like, no, you're skipping. You're not going to learn what we're trying to teach you if you solve it that way. But instead they're like, no, you, you just, you know, Hey, this is tutorial Island and it's slow and it's not fun, uh, but you're going to get through it and you're going to learn what you need to know. Uh, and then from there, fucking figure it out, man. And they'll slap restrictions on you as needed and, and, and whatever else. But like, you know, I just seeing all of the crazy stuff that people are building and, and, you know, things that are, you know, like they're encountering bosses and then they're creating big stick and rock configurations that look like dicks. And then they are picking them up and rotating them in the air and then casting recall on it. So it just floats in the air and hovers around and the game is with it enough to know that like, hey, if a rock hits a guy, it's going to do a certain amount of damage no matter what. And so it has that register damage on the boss. And so you have these situations where you can, you know, you can take on fights that way. And that's not the most straightforward way to do it. And it's kind of a hassle. I've been trying to, to do it. And, you know, it's it's you can do it, but it's just like, man, fuck. Uh if these controls were, I don't think there would be a way to make those controls easy. It's you're not meant to do that, but it's fantastic that you can. And that to me is the real wonder of tears of the kingdom is that you can, 
You know, generally speaking, if you look at the a setup and go like, this seems like it should work. I feel like more often than not, it works. Your crazy ideas, or at least like you see why it doesn't. And you're like, okay, all right, well, yeah. And at least these madcap moments that are sometimes frustrating, but you know, you have these situations where you're just like, oh man, I, I was making a car and, uh, as I was making it, suddenly it was, it, it, I put all the wheels on it and then it rolled away because it had wheels and then it rolled into a chasm and I'm fucked. And I'm like, oh shit. Well, that's gone. Guess I got to start over. Uh, real silly stuff like that. I wish, so Gary's Mod has a thing where you can freeze an item or multiple items where you can pick a thing up and freeze it in midair so that you can work on it. You know? Um, and it's vital <laughs> in Gary's mod that you, when you're, when you're strapping things, when you're bolting things to other things, when you're fusing things together in Gary's mod, you want to you want your car to be built in midair and then you unfreeze the whole thing and it will physics it'll reactivate and plop down to the ground. You'd be like, okay, now we're good to go. Um, Zelda doesn't seem to have anything like that yeah you can use rewind yeah you, there are like weird ways that you can you can sort of do that but um but yeah so i guess like that's that's kind of the, the cool thing about it in a weird way is like yeah there are weird work arounds and if you manage to catch your car before it falls into the chasm and cast recall on it then yeah it'll rewind back and you can save it from falling into something but uh yeah, I think if I if I could just pick something up and freeze it in the air long enough to work on it, long enough to finish the build. Um I don't know. That'd be nice. That'd be nice in terms of getting things built. But it would be less nice in terms of insane shit happened because I built this thing and it flopped this weird way and killed this guy and then it landed on me and I you know, like the the silly shit. Um that uh that you can you can have happen and i know there are more abilities kind of later on in the game so you know like i guess that's the thing is like all the things i want are related to building and i like the the anytime i am spent anytime i have spent walking in a direction to go do a quest of like oh i gotta get to hyrule all right now we're here we've fallen to earth here so let's Go to town. What's the town doing? Walk to the castle. Okay, we'll go to the castle. Go to the castle, talk to a guy, watch cutscenes. It's like, you should get back to town and tell somebody about that. Fucking all right. Go all the way back. You know, you can fast travel to shrines if you find any along the way. So you can kind of, you know, use that to skip your way around the environment at least a little bit. Um, But it's just kind of the early parts of the game are kind of in the way of the things that I really like about it. And also the the environment feels so vast and oftentimes so fucking empty that like that walk back and forth to the castle was just like, okay, I'm not doing any, there's like zero gameplay from here to there uh, unless I saw a shrine on the way and then I can stop and do a shrine and then I'm having a good time again. But like the the, the open world is just kind of, at least in in the early parts of the game, right? So I, I don't know. Like as I see people talk about the things that you encounter later on in the game, like all of that stuff sounds really neat. Um 
but man, I don't know. It just seems like there's a lot of drudgery that you have to do in that game to get to the stuff that I want to do. Um, if I get enough pony points, uh, you have a reward program with the, uh, with the, the stables in the game and, uh, you can get a towing hitch, I guess for a horse, which seems kind of cool in so far as you could build a wagon and, uh, and have a horse, you know, do carry your, your stuff from place to place, I guess, if you, if you needed to, um, yeah, so I don't know. There, there's a ton of really neat stuff about it, and it is still also that kind of Zelda game. And I, you know, I, I was not a, a huge fan of of Breath of the Wild primarily because of a lot of that authored content was just not very good. Um, you know, the shrines were really cool, and and that was the the stuff I wanted to do the most. But then, like getting to the big four dungeons and doing you know, like all of that. I was just like, man, I just, I am not, I do not want to do this. Um, and, and so that kind of made me drift away from that game here. It feels like there's a much bigger pull. Like there's a lot of stuff in this game. I would love to do for hours and hours and hours, but I'm worried that I'm going to have to like do a bunch of the stuff I don't want to do in order to get that stuff. And, um, that's kind of where I'm at with it right now. I'm chipping away at it. I'm having a, a good time with it, but, um, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. Ultimately, I think that the, because of those systems and because of the other things it's doing, like I'm, I'm, my thought is that maybe it's just like, yeah, eh, it's just not for me. I don't know. And that's fine. Whatever. But, uh, but the parts that I'm enjoying, I'm really fucking enjoying. So, you know, it's, uh, frustrating i don't know and there's like stuff in the early parts of the game that you're just like you know you encounter the like there are guys that'll just like kill you in one hit pretty early on in the game and stuff and you're just like I... some weird choices uh weird choices in and around that game um but again you know like as you open up and get more access to more parts and more tools i have nothing but faith and confidence that you could find ridiculous ways to solve those problems that would be super fun you know, um, but I, I don't know. I don't know if I will stick with it enough to really see all of that stuff. Yeah. Yes. Surfing on a, um, attaching a mine cart to your shield and using it like a skateboard is a great example of like this incredibly joyful interaction that they've put into this game. Um, and, uh, and how awesome that is. And yeah, I don't know. I, yeah, but whether it's, it's not necessarily a creative mode because creating without limits at some point, what, you know, you're not solving any problems. That'd be like fun for a while to build uh, big, crazy contraptions and, and just look at them and go like, all right, but like the building them in service of solving an actual problem is what makes that stuff work. And so it's a, a situation where it's like, I wish the creation stuff was freer earlier. I guess is, is sort of how I feel about it now based on what I've heard about, you know, kind of how those things change later on in the game. But, uh, but yeah, I don't know. Uh, I put a, I put it to the Gerstmann advisory panel, which is one of the tiers you can look at over at uh, patreon.com slash Jeff Gerstmann. Uh, and just ask people like, Hey, you know, what, what's up with Zelda? You playing that thing? What's going on? Do you, do you, do you like it? Is it cool? Um, 
And we got some votes over there. 43% of people don't even have the game, which, uh, yeah, I don't know. That's, yeah, it's, you, you gotta, you gotta have a switch to do it. So yeah, I, I get it, man. Um, and looks like 23% of players have put a medium amount of time into the game. I said a medium amount, like 20 hours or so. Uh, 20% put a few hours into it. Putting the game out on, uh, you know, Mother's Day weekend is a choice for sure. That I know some people were definitely like, oh man, what a bummer. <laughs> I'm not going to be able to play this or whatever. Um, 1% of players claim to have finished the game and 5% of players have put hell of hours into it like 40 or something. So, uh, so that's pretty cool. Um, yeah, but yeah, over half of the respondents are playing the game in some capacity. Um, and yeah, definitely like BJ says, I picked it up on Friday, but Mother's Day weekend got in the way. So I wasn't able to start until Sunday evening, but I climbed a tree and the frame rate literally went to single digits. I'm scared of what this means when I actually dig deep into the game, what the performance will be like. I have not really had a major issue with the performance. I guess I would say it is what it is. Like you, I, I feel like you kind of know, you know what to expect with that engine running on the switch based on how breath of the wild ran. Right. I just look at it and go like, yeah, there's going to be spots in there that are fucking terrible. Um, but also I think that they will probably know to try. I think my only worry is like, if you end up building a, a gigantic contraption, will that, will that hit the performance? Um, or, or whatever. Um, Let's see. Uh, Andrew says, took my wife to Arrowhead for Mother's Day weekend for us to do absolutely nothing. She rested from doctor work and I played the entire time. I've been playing it like I played Breath of the Wild, running and gliding around to every random place that looks cool while I run into places I have no business being in as underpowered as I am and having a fucking blast while doing it. I've been only testing the waters with building, but have been focusing on the exploration and being amazed how much new stuff they added and hid in the map. I've already spent 200 hours in on the last game. Yeah, so it's, you know, obviously like a pretty similar map to the last game. That was something that people were just like, I can't believe it's going to be the same map, rah, rah, rah. But that's, you know, I don't know. Then There's so much new stuff they're doing throughout the game. Like, your ability set is so different. Like, you're, you're, the way you interact with that world is just fundamentally different. So, yeah, I mean, you know, even, even with it being a similar landscape or whatever, like, hey, I don't know. That's that's kind of how I've been trying to play it, but like the, as just like going going around and seeing what I can see. That's how I mostly played Breath of the Wild. But then I I feel the pull earlier in this game than I did in Breath of the Wild, where it's like, man, I like I know if I keep playing, I will unlock more access to you know, I like that's how I'm going to end up getting more battery power. That's how I'm, like the things again, like you know, I I will have to engage with those systems in order to unlock the things I want to do, you know? Um, and so, so that's been the pull for me is like, it's like, Oh, okay. I guess I got to run off to this village and, you know, I guess I got to find some snow clothes so that I can exist in this village, which is like Metal Gear Solid three all over again. Um, Let's see. Calvin says, still in the tutorial area. Not sure if the whole building aspect is something I want to do. Breath of the Wild hooked me with the exploration. If building is the main hook, don't think I'll stick with it. Still going to give it a few more hours. Um, I think that's maybe the other thing is like the building doesn't necessarily seem like like all of the stuff that we're seeing with people building insane contraptions and, and crazy shit. 
I, I don't know that the game, I mean, obviously, like, part of the game is you slamming together these contraptions, but I don't think you have to do it in a particularly creative way. I think that, you know, it's so far, at least seems like in situations where you're going to need that stuff, that stuff's right there. And you look at it and go, oh, okay, bam, 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 bam. And you, you just kind of half-ass your way into a raft and go. Uh, and, and so like the building really seems like there's as much or almost as little as you would want out of it. I can't say that with pure certainty because obviously I haven't finished the game, but, um, but the impression I get of that game is like, if if you're not feeling the building stuff, I think there are plenty of ways where you're just like, okay, I can just put this mine cart on the tracks and, and put a fan on it and it will go. You know, you, you don't need to, all the stuff I'm talking about, about building half a bridge and then making it float over, like, like those are crazy ways to solve. I, I think that's, to me, that's way more interesting, but I think if you don't like that stuff, I don't think you have to do that. Um, and, but I, but I do think that, you know, obviously like the ability set is built around you doing some of the building and some of ascending through things and, and ascend is the weirdest power of them all. It feels like the most broken thing. Ascend basically lets you just jump up through a ceiling and come out the other side. And every time you look at it, it like when it's like Link swimming through this empty rock and popping out the other end and it just looks broken. It looks like a debug interaction. You look at it and go like, this is something, this is fucking crazy. But it creates a situation where, like, anytime you see a well in that game, you just fucking jump down it. And you're in the well, and it's like a big cave, and you're like, oh, cool, man. And then when you're done down there, when you've found, like, oh, look at that, there's a cooking pot and some others, like, someone clearly set up a camp down here. That's a neat little thing. And then you're like, okay, I got to get out of here. Oh, shit. Is there a ladder? Oh, wait, I am the ladder. And you just fucking cast it and fucking just jump up through the ceiling and pop out of the ground again. You're like, and then you're on your way. It's nuts. <laughs> it's, it's like, so I, I think the, the, the thought process you go through, like there, the, the thought process you go through for solving even basic traversal is so dramatically different than not only from like Breath of the Wild, from like from the vast majority of other fucking action adventure games, because the tool set you have is fucking nuts. It, it like, like not to say it's overpowered, not to say it's this or that. It's just like, it's so different than you would expect from a follow up to breath of the wild for one, but also just from like that style of game where you're just like, Oh, you mean there's not some elaborate backtracking I have to do to fucking get out of the cave and do this and that. And, Oh, I fell in here and now I got to, Oh, there's just nothing in here, but a ladder out and like, Oh, I just fucking hop out and I move on. Fuck it. It's crazy. And it enables them to hide such weird shit in so many weird places because they can just count on you to just fucking leap up your own ass and jump out of the fucking problem. Like it's nuts. Uh, it, it's a, it's a real design feat. I'm sure to design puzzles, to design a world, to design everything that they had to build in order to support that tool set in a meaningful way. That seems like it was probably really fucking hard. Um, really fucking hard. So I, I, I'm, I'm, if nothing else, I'm crazy impressed, uh, with that. Um, let's see. Mason says, as someone who liked what wasn't enamored with Breath of the Wild, I'm enraptured by Tears of the Kingdom. 
I think going in with the expectations of some of the systems, like weapon de degradation, stamina, etc., allow me to prepare for these, and they don't bother me as much. I also think there's a lot more to actually get. Uh, I felt in Breath of the Wild, yeah, something might look cool in the distance, but after a few hours, it became pretty clear that you would either find a shrine, a weapon that, if useful, wouldn't last too long, or something else inconsequential. I'm getting the same feelings I had exploring Elden Ring, playing Tears of the Kingdom. This is all without mentioning the Ultra Hand building and puzzle solving, which is so bananas, but oh so cool and fun to toy with, to solve puzzles, or to launch Koroks into space. I hope my enthusiasm stays the whole way through this thing, because right now I'm feeling the way most people felt about Breath of the Wild initially about Tears of the Kingdom. Yeah. Uh, Sire says, I'm not the biggest fan of open world games, especially open world with too many options. Throw in weapon degradation, I'm even less likely to play it. I tried Breath of the Wild and checked out quickly. Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, I think this game is kind of, this game is going to, in a lot of ways, I think it'll be whatever you bring to it, you know? Um, because it is, in a lot of ways, very similar to Breath of the Wild, obviously. You know, like, like that's, you know, <laughs> that's the game they made. Uh, they, they definitely made another one of those. But also, the options that they've given you, it's a game that I think um, doesn't always require it, but certainly is very rewarding of your creativity. And so when you bring that into it, you, I think th to me, that is the most interesting thing about that game is because you, it's, it's sort of like, it makes you feel smart. It makes you feel like you've outsmarted the game. It makes you feel like you've come up with your own personal solution. And obviously you, you haven't, I'm sure other people solve that puzzle in the exact same way, or in some cases that might even be the designed solution. But what they've done is they've given you an open and free enough tool set, a big enough, weird enough toy box that when you solve a thing, you feel like you did it your way. You feel like you outsmarted the game. You feel like you got one over on them. You're like, yeah, take that fuckers. I did this. Um, and I think that that to, to me, that's the most interesting part of the game. You know, those those sorts of, of situations, right? That's the thing that, you know, to me, differentiates it from Breath of the Wild, which didn't always feel like that. Or or just, I don't know, you saw all those videos of people like, I'm going to hit this rock this way and then stand on it and it's going to fly over here. You know, like, like the weird things people did with that game. The game didn't feel designed to do that. This game feels like it was designed to do all that. Uh, and And I think it's just a lot more fun. Breath of the Wild is more like... I think the, the thing about Breath of the Wild was more like, look at Nintendo's take on this open world concept and look at all the things they did with, you know, this cooking system or, hey, the temperature gauge, or, you know, like all of the other, you know, systems and systems and systems on top of systems that they've loaded into that thing. Um, All that stuff is still there. And that's the stuff that I think I like the least. I don't ever want to have to think about um, changing clothes in that game to to fit the current environment. It's a in a in a game full of you stopping and going into the menus over and over and over and over again for every single little thing you want to do. Um, 
I wish that more aspects of the game were more streamlined. And obviously when you get the right gear, uh, that's going to be mitigated to a certain extent, but it's, it's why I referenced Metal Gear Solid 3. Because it's that thing of like, oh, I've got to go into this menu and change my camouflage because now I'm over here. And like, fuck that. I don't want to do that. Um, and so the, 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 you know, oh, I'm in a snowy area. I've got to put on different clothing and blah, blah, blah. Like I, that stuff is, is not, I could have done without it systems wise. You know, you just look at it and go like, oh yeah, it's cool that they take that into account. And oh, the, the temperature gauge registers like, so if I create a fire in a snowy environment, that's enough to keep me safe for a while. But, but instead it's just like, it's a hassle. This is a hassle that's keeping me away from this. Let me find a blue ring or something. And once I've got it, I'm safe in the snow forever. Yeah, done. And not have to go in and change loadouts and and everything. Again, you know, like on its own, it's not that big of a deal. But in, again, in, in a game where you're managing 40 different menus for like, okay, I need to put an eyeball on this arrow. And now I need to, oh, this weapon broke. So now I need to go in here and pick a different one. Oh, shit, my shield broke. And now I got, oh, my, oh man, my bow broke. And now I got to go into this this menu and do this. In a game where you are constantly like, and and then like, oh, I got to lift up this with ultra hand and I got to rotate this. And that's got another menu that I need to stop this and do this. Like the amount of time you spend, spend stopping the game is um, frustrating. You know, like I, I, I don't know how you fix it, though, because in a game with as many options as it has. If you took all that away, I don't I don't know how you would do better. I don't know how you would do better than those menus while still allowing the freedom of interactions that that game has. You know? So, I I don't I don't know that I have a like a solution to that of like, oh, if they had done the menus this way or radial menu this or that. But I I think it's just a situation where it's like sometimes that's the it's kind of the downside of the game that they made right uh of like okay well you know this this is built to allow you to try all of this insane shit and so you need to be able to have relatively ready access to all of these different categories and items all the time and i don't know how they i you know i don't know i think the game like it's it's tempting to say like i wish that there were aspects of the control that were ever so slightly simplified or or whatever um because as someone who didn't play a lot of breath of the wild um, there's nothing second nature about those controls to me. And so adding in now I'm, you know, hovering this and gluing this to that and, and, and adding all of those systems into play, I am constantly fucking up and I'm throwing weapons and going like, Oh shit, I meant to do Ultran and doing this. Like I'm definitely like just clumsy in a way that I'm certainly not in other games, but other games don't try to do this. <laughs> so, you know, I, I kind of, you know, again, you can only take that so far before you start really infringing on the game that they're trying to make. And, um, and so, yeah, as much as I wish, like, I wish there were aspects of the controls that just felt a little better. The act of doing a running jump in that game. You know, of hitting the, hitting the one button to run and then having to hit your other button to jump. And it's, it's, it's very silly. It's very silly. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Yeah. It, it's, uh, it's neat. Let's see some other comments here. Asadasa says it's the only thing I've wanted to do since unlocking it. Incredible game. 
Um, A1 Sticks says, It's catching me much more than Breath of the Wild did. They really need to give you the ability to steer your creations way earlier. Yeah. That was something when I when I started building a car and then realized I had no way to steer them. I was kind of uh, like, fuck, really? But, you know, they, they do unlock that later. But, like, for me, it would have been as simple as... Because I, 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 I have put hundreds of hours into Gary's mod at a very low level. I'm not making ridiculous bullshit in there. But I like to, you know, if, like make a hovercraft and strap some balloons to it. And, you know, and you can use the number pad to steer it and, and do your thing. Um, and so... I was expecting a situation where if I put two fans on the back of a uh, plank to make a boat that I would be able to steer by just turning on one of the fans, the back right fan and have it go and curve. And then, you know, like, oh, now I can hit the other one and turn that one on to straighten it out. And I could turn off this one. I thought it was going to allow me to do that. Instead, it was like everything's on or everything's off. And I was like, fuck, <laughs> like, it's such a bummer. Um, I wish that there was something, I, 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 I wish that you could kind of do that. Like there should be an item in there that you use to link things together. Right. Um, if you want everything to turn on or off, but again, now we're overcomplicating an, an, e- an already very complicated system. So what they did probably works out fantastically when you think about it in the context of fitting into this specific game, is it the smoothest and best building system video games have ever known? No. Um, but it's incredibly powerful and it fits into this environment really well. And you get there with the other stuff where you're like, okay, now I have the ability to steer it or, or whatever. But like, I, I just, I look at it in a situation. I, I look at it in terms of of how Gary's mod handles that sort of stuff. When you are trying to build a vehicle and you are putting a chair in it that lets you steer, and you are putting uh, aluminum cam shaped jet boosters on it so that it can fly or hover or do whatever else, and you know you're putting a a gun on it that launches dominoes out of it, and then the domino model was made by some amateur. And there's something about the domino model that has too many polys in it or something. So if you launch a bunch of dominoes, it crashes the entire server. That's a fantastic time. You want to have a good time. You should get into Gary. You should get back into Gary's mod. Because Gary's mod is fucking incredible. It's everything you want this to be times a fucking thousand, but without the video game part of it. I'm really interested to see what they're working on next. That sandbox thing that they are, they're giving out keys in the most like haphazardly busted weird webpage system. Um, but like the follow-up to Gary's mod, the thing that they're working on uh, next um, looks really interesting and I really want to mess with it. Um, but yeah, it's uh, yeah. I don't know. Like Zelda's great. <laughs> Zelda's great, but it's no Gary's mod is a really fucking ridiculous, uh, ridiculous statement here. But, but I guess here we are. Um, let's see. Uh, 
Karak says, I played about 20 hours of Breath of the Wild before falling off hard. The frame rate and performance combined with how kind of aimless it felt turned me off. Um, a lot of the systems felt actively hostile to my attempts to have fun, like weapon durability, stamina, mobility in general. Tears of the Kingdom seems to have smoothed off a lot of the rough edges. It might just be where I've chosen to go, but I've had way fewer, Jesus, they don't want me to be here at this point in the game moments. It constantly felt like I was in the wrong place with the wrong equipment at the wrong point in the game in Breath of the Wild, and I gave up. For context, I played every Zelda since the original at my best friend's house when I was five or six, but I am having a blast with Tears of the Kingdom. There are just so many more options for traversal, adapting to puzzles, uh, the nuts and bolts like sandbox environment. I've got a week off work going to the beach, and I can't wait to have the time to just play and enjoy it in longer chunks. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that that's kind of that's kind of where I'm at with the whole thing. Is like there's there's a lot of stuff um and a lot of that legacy stuff that's in Tears of the Kingdom is sort of my least favorite stuff in the game still. <laughs> but uh but yeah, there's there's a lot of really there's just a lot of really amazing even in the early parts of the game that I'm in, like just having these amazing moments of, you know, building things or or you know, like coming up with different solutions to problems and and whatever else um has just been great fun um system quirk omelet says i really enjoyed breath of the wild and completed it i am enjoying tears of the kingdom but maybe a bit less so because it does feel like more of the same hmm interesting that is that is a, a take i have not necessarily seen a lot of um but I, yeah, I don't know. I, I think again, there's something about obviously the way Breath of the Wild was built that was highly pol- polarizing, you know. Um, and I think that it makes sense that there's a lot of th- that same stuff in this game. But I do think that this game is is blown open so widely that I think that there are just a lot more opportunities for players to kind of route around the things that maybe turned them off in Breath of the Wild. Sort of. I don't know. Or that the good things are so good that it's worth the fucking slog of some of the other bits, you know? Um, We'll see. Like I said, I uh, am playing it in, in kind of small chunks, so it's basically been like loading it up heading off in the Northwest in the direction of the first town and finding a shrine and finding Impa. And, you know, like I kind of, I was spending a bunch of time looking at the Nazca lines and going like, okay, what's here? What is actually here? Ask us, go do this shrine over there and just do that. But, um, it's such a killer set of powers, even in the early going, like the, the abilities that you have coming, like basically by the time you land in Hyrule, like the, the ascend ability, the rewind ability, the, you know, the ability to slap things together and and make them stick. Like there's just, it's a really magical set of tools, um, that are, that I've found to be really fun to engage with. And I guess I just want to do more of that. And anytime the game stops to talk, I feel like anytime there's been any kind of cutscene, anytime there's been any kind of dialogue, anytime there's been any kind of actual quest, those have been kind of the uh, lower points of the game so far. You know, um, 
when it gets out of its own way and just presents like very simple to read problems we're like oh, okay well this gate is open and clearly there's a button here and i need to do this to build a contraption to do this and build this and you know like like different aspects of that i think that is the that that to me is is the the stuff that i'm finding really engaging so um anytime it stops and and just is so verbose about the dumbest shit where it's like, okay, hey, we're going to uh, stop. We're going to tell you about how all this zone zonite works. And uh, then we're going to explain to you the history of exchanging currency for goods and services. And then we're going to say, hey, by the way, this is a shop. And I'm like, okay. Like, fucking shut the fuck up already. Um, yeah, it, it definitely... It's weird, man. It definitely uh, will talk your ear off about some of the dumbest things. Uh, but but there you go. I don't know. I, I think it's a really like it, it's a it's a magical game that I wish I enjoyed more. That is that is kind of where I'm at with it. Where like I'm having amazing moments with it, and I'm having moments with it where I'm like, ah, maybe I'm done. And I wish more than I like that is my video game wish right now of God damn. I wish I enjoyed all this shit because I bet it's a fucking fantastic time. But blah, boy, uh, the parts I don't like are parts I don't like. And that's just how it's going to go. So whatever, I'll probably keep chipping away at it. And if I get over the hump on some of that other stuff, then I, I'm, I have full confidence that there are amazing things to do and see and amazing times to come ahead of building gigantic cocks out of wood and stone and making it attack my foes. That's all I want to do. That's all I want to do. Thanks everybody on the advisory panel for contributing to the poll and, uh, for, for commenting on the, uh, on the panel. Um, I got a drink here. This one's been, uh, this has been a, kind of a long time coming here. This is a, it's a ghost sour patch blue raspberry for the longest time. I thought it was on the list, but it wasn't. I think this ended up being one of Glenn's favorites. Um, and he was hounding me about not having tried it, but I found it the other day, picked up a can. Let's find out about it. Ooh, we've, we're making a, making a mess. It is splashed all over the place. I made a, uh, the, the first thing I made in Zelda is I just took a plank and I took two axles and I put it on the bottom of the plank and I put wheels on the axles and then I put two fans on the back of it. This is the first thing I made in the open world that wasn't like, oh, there's a puzzle I need to solve right here. This was just like, oh, there's stuff here. Let's build it. You know, cause there's caches of, of just shit everywhere. Like, oh, look at some wheels and some wood. Um, and then I, I put some fans on the back of it and I was like that's a car right there we can fucking go I mean I can't steer it but it can go and I was like you know what this thing needs a flamethrower on the front of it and so I had a flame emitter and so I put it on the front of the car and I was like yeah we're gonna fucking haul ass and shoot fire Um, and so 
I created a situation where as I'm going through the tall grass, it, you know, it, it, it goes, man. I, I had to kind of stop and point it in the right direction a few times because it would get off track, but I'm going and it's setting stuff on fire and I'm like leaving a trail of flames behind me and I'm like, hell yeah, this, I'm having a, this is the fucking coolest thing I've done in this entire game. <laughs> and then I hit a wall and the car stopped and then bounced off the wall and backed up into the gigantic a tall grass fire I have had been making for the past mile or whatever. And the entire thing is made out of wood. So the whole thing just fucking burns up immediately. And then I'm just standing there in fire going, ah, fuck. God damn it. And I'm like running out of the fire. Going, and I died. Uh, and it was the, it was the best. That was the best moment I've had in that game so far. I was like, this game's great. What a fucking fantastic game. I just set myself on fire and did all, yeah, fucking badass. Um, when that game is that, it's fantastic. It's the best. Um, yeah. All right. Yeah, this smells like a blue drink. Blue raspberry sour patch. It smells a little sour. It smells a little blue. Ugh. Mm. Ah. Yeah. Eh. I think the red one is better because it's a little less sour. I don't know. I don't. I'm not really. I'm not really into this, like, check out this sour drink. Like, it's not. Pardon me. Um, better than the plant-based? Yes, better than the riot energy that we had last week. That thing's a, a travesty. This is fine. This is absolutely fine. Um... Let's get the list up real quick and rank this. Um, we have 112 beverages on the list so far. Hang on. That's, people can't quite see all of them if I don't shrink the window down. There. Um... This is a, yeah, this is a very drinkable drink. And, um, you know, tart, but not necessarily overly sour. Um, I'm, I would probably prefer a standard kind of blue raspberry flavor over this kind of Sour Patch Kids sour take on it. Um, but it's still pretty good. Where's red? I think the yeah, red berry is a top ten drink. So I, I don't I don't think that this ends up going up there. But uh, not as good as divine peach. Hmm. Not as good as the C four black cherry. Glacier freeze. The, the Gatorade fast twitch drinks are a very neutral, just like. You know, because it's not carbonated. It's 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 more of a Gatorade-y kind of drink. And uh and it's just a very neutral flavor. Um 
Yeah, they're they're fine. I don't think it's quite as good as the Skittles, though. We're in the we're in the we're in the zone here. You know what? I think it is uh Yeah. Yes. We're gonna put it right there. Ghosts. Sour patch kids blue raspberry. And I will paste the list back in for you to see. It is our new number 28, which is pretty high these days. This list is getting pretty long. There's 113 drinks on this list now. So, you know, top 28, pretty good. Yeah, I would take it over the Rise Fuel Sunny D. Yeah, yes. This the the Rise Fuel. If we had a most disappointing category for energy drinks, Rise Fuel Sunny D seems like the most squandered opportunity of them all, because the flavor is not as strong as it should be. Um, I feel like a, a Sunny D based energy drink seems like something that could be a number a top five drink if done properly, but I, I feel like they just they didn't nail it. They just didn't, they did not find it. They just did not find it. Um, I've got like five boxes in the garage that folks have sent in. So we'll probably crack those open this week and see what's inside. They all shake like their beverages. So, oh, also, well, all right. Well, uh, I did open one of the packages from Disco Spawn who sent this and said, is this what those Danish energy drinks tasted like? The traditional candies come in the shape of coins, so it seems to match your description of those drinks tasting like old dirty pennies. This is uh, Nordic Sweets Salty Licorice Fish. So I guess I should try one of those. Oh my god. Cracked the package open, and the smell brought back the memories of. Was it two thousand eight? Was it two thousand nine? When someone sent us these, huh? The smell, just the the salty licoricey smell. As soon as this, Whew. I'm gonna have to air this room out. I'm going to try a bite of one of these because someone sent it in. That's not a, that's not a, a do not send it. No. But it's been so long that I want to try one of these again. Oh, God. Oh. Oh. Shout out to the. The fat shark guys. I guess any anyone any all anyone who worked at Grin, wherever you're wherever you are now. This one's for you. Oh fuck me. Oh god. Ah Mm-mm. 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 Nope. 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 Oh. Look at this. Look at this. 
Okay. There's some stuck in my teeth. Oh, God. Oh, God. That shit is poison. And... Oh! It's still there. It's just somehow worse than I remember. Huh. Huh. Oh, God. Can I rub a baby wipe on my tongue? That would, that did not help. Oh, fuck me. So yeah, don't get the salty. Don't get salted licorice. Ever. Don't. I do have my tongue out of my mouth for a little bit. I need to get my tongue out of my mouth a little bit. I just got to air it out. Just got to air out the tongue. Ha. 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 Okay. Now, it's, 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 there's, I need a fucking toothbrush. Let's move on. Congratulations to Ghost Blue Raspberry Sour Patch Kids Edition. Let's get to the news. A lot of Mortal Kombat leaks. Um, if you remember, they put out a teaser trailer last week talking about, uh, you know, uh, a Mortal Kombat teaser trailer for the next game, which seems like they're going to have to reveal it pretty soon here. Um, and it's a clock, you know, the the last game was MK 11. So you're like, oh, this will be MK 12. So, but instead of the clock stopping at 12, it skips past 12 and goes right to one, which, uh, given the nature of the previous game, makes a lot of sense. The storyline there being, you know, that you're effectively time has been unwound to a point where they can kind of retell the story from the beginning or tell it entirely, you know, like a, an alternate universe all over again. They're kind of at a, another point where they can reboot it. Um, This has been, uh, I guess, corroborated from a few different places here. Um, a user on Twitter under the name Bill Bill Coon, who uh, claims to be a data miner of some kind, 
as my understanding, uh, says that the game will in fact be called Mortal Kombat 1. Everyone has been using the just the 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 numeral one um, in that, not a Roman numeral, not a, you know, not spelling out O N E, but uh, but so far in all the places I've seen it surface, it has been using just the straight up number one. Um, Bill Bill Coon also goes on to say that uh, the game will have three editions, including a collector's edition that goes for two hundred and forty nine ninety nine U.S. dollars. Uh, and then it will be coming to PC, PlayStation 5, current gens of Xbox, and the Nintendo Switch. Which would make sense, kind of dropping the previous gen versions there uh, once and for all. Um, and... Yeah, that's kind of the, the bulk of the information there. Windows Central... Also kind of uh, corroborates that. They say, we at Windows Central have confirmed through our sources that the information provided by Bill Bill Coon is indeed legitimate. And that the game will be called Mortal Kombat 1. Um, Our sourcing suggests the games will be revealed in full in the next couple of weeks. Which lines up with that kind of summer games fest window, perhaps. Um, Our sourcing suggests that Mortal Kombat 1 is targeting a September launch window, although plans may be in flux. We've heard that the MK1 character pass will feature various properties owned by Warner Brothers, including Peacemaker from the DC Universe, and possibly even Homelander from the comic book series The Boys, amongst others we have yet to confirm. Um... Which, uh, I guess, like, that's, um, that makes a ton of sense, uh, but also, I, there's something about the very idea of, like, yeah, we're do all the guest characters come from Warner Brothers properties is, uh, is sort of a bummer, (laughs) um, so, uh, I, I don't know, like, cause that's what multiverses kind of was in its own weird way. Right. That's what space jam two was. So just, I don't know. It, it, it's, there's a corporate stink, I guess on the, 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 the idea that these would all be Warner properties as opposed to what do you think would be cool to put in this game? Who, what's the, what are the best murdering guys we could put in here? You know, not I, whatever my, I, I don't much care for guest characters to begin with, uh, because I think that, uh, especially in mortal Kombat, because I have always felt that the characters of mortal Kombat are more interesting to me than any of the fuckos that they have gone and put it. They're like, Hey, we've got the guy. What did they even, they even do that? Or was that just rumor? But the idea of just like, we're going to put the guy from evil dead in here. Like, okay. Yeah. You know what? You know, who's cool. Scorpion, you know, this is cool. Johnny Cage, you know, is a neat guy. Kung Lao. I think the one time for a guest character that I was like, okay, was maybe RoboCop because that was so dumb. <laughs> um, so I don't know. Uh, Homelander from the boys. That's the, 
that's the bad guy that every that uh that's the guy that if someone thinks that they're the good guy it's it's a pretty clear sign that they're not someone you want to hang out with right is that the is home is the homelander guy the like secret nazi of that game the people who tell you that they really like homelander are like okay that's I, i'm gonna unfollow this account um or or whatever um and then peacemaker that's john cena right I assume they will. Oh, that'd be cool. I mean, it'd be neat if they went and got John Cena to do the voice work and and whatever else for it and, and did that specific version of the character, I guess, if they went and got the real voice actors for Homelander or whatever else. I don't know. But you know what would be a cooler character to put in this game than Peacemaker? It would be John Cena. <laughs> if they just put John Cena in this game, uh, and that would be fucking cool. Remember when NetherRealm made that WWE game on mobile? And it was like surprise. It was like one of the best like representations of wrestlers in a game because they just made this crazy over the top fucking thing. Ugh. That was cool. That was cool. Um, yeah, so I don't, you know, hey, uh, yes, we'll we'll certainly expect to see some news out of Warner um, sometime over the next, I guess, month now, right? I mean, the Summer Games Fest stuff is June 8th is when Keeley's live show will happen, Thursday the 8th. And then, so this is, this is all kind of fresh in my mind right now because I'm in the middle of booking a bunch of appointments to see games there. Um, some of them are unannounced games that I don't know what they are. They're like, hey, do you want to come see a game? from us this publisher like yeah sure and then some of them are very much like here here are the four games we're showing do you want to come see these and in some cases i'm like yes absolutely and in some cases i'm like a wide swath of publishers showing up to this thing i'm i'm very excited for that window there the um that 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 lane there of like june 8th of the keely live show on the 8th the two days of, um, you know, hands-on stuff or, or whatever. And, uh, and then, you know, Microsoft on the 11th and then Ubisoft on the 12th. I am extremely excited for that. So tentatively, you know, like my plans right now is that I will be here with you talking over Keeley's stream on the, on the 8th and, uh, the Microsoft and Starfield stuff on the 11th and the Ubisoft stuff on the 12th. Um, and so, yeah. And then somewhere in the middle there, I'm going to get my hands on unreleased video games. And I bought a portable recorder so that I can record some audio interviews while I'm down there and, uh, and, and whatever else. So that's showing up Thursday and then I need to test it. I need to test out the mics on that thing to see if I can use the onboard mics or if I need to buy some actual stick mics or, or whatever for that thing. But, um, yeah, super excited uh, about all that. And uh, but yes, for the for the live stream stuff, the the kind of big the big three live streams that have been announced so far, uh, my plan is to be here talking over that stuff. Um, and then there's been talk going around that Sony might do a thing ahead of all that, and if if that happens, I will I will plan to probably talk over that as well. So yeah, we'll, we'll see how it all goes, but yes, this Mortal Kombat news, I don't know, this rings, you know, like I, I don't, you know, 
Windows Central is not always your home for the hottest gaming stuff, but Jess Corden contributed to this, Alexander Cope. Like, they seem like they know what they're talking about here, and they're corroborating this Twitter leak, um, which that would be the thing. If it, if it was just Bill Bill Coon talking about uh, pricing and, and additions and stuff like that, I feel like that would be something that would be relatively easy to guess or put together. Um, even if you just, cause this is, um, this is basically what the street fighter six pricing is, um, in a lot of ways. So, um, but September, I don't know if they're going to announce it. Let's like, let's assume that they announce it. Let's assume that mortal Kombat gets announced on June 8th as part of Keeley's live show. Like, I, I don't, I don't know. Um, but if these leaks are happening now, that's what is that? That's a little over three weeks out. So you announce a game in June for September release. We know that last time they announced a Mortal Kombat game, I definitely got the impression from Respawn or from Respawn from NetherRealm um, that uh, that they really liked the short announcement to release window and not have a year of having to put together character trailers and all this other shit and fight leaks. If they're just like, fuck it, we announce in June and we're out in September, that that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, so, you know, if I'm if I'm living in educated guest land and I am, um, I look at this stuff and go, yeah, th- this looks right to me. Um, the name Mortal Kombat one, that that's a good that fits with the, the teaser that fits with the you know, where the last game left off. There's a weird, the, the window central story kind of gets into a weird thing that I'm like, I don't, I don't know if they're trying to refer to a different character here or, or if they are not up on the mortal Kombat lore, but going off the previous game and the leak mortal Kombat one may be a retelling of the original mortal Kombat game. On the other hand, it may also be more likely to be a new prequel story that tells the tale of the very first mortal Kombat tournament and the rise of the great Kung Lao, an important background character in Mortal Kombat lore that is yet to make a playable appearance in any of the games. I, uh... So, yeah, unless there's, like, some ancient version of Kung Lao that they're referring to that did not appear in the game, technically... But that's that's what because that's what it is, right? It's like the the current Kung Lao is named after the super ancient Kung Lao, and that's what they're referring to. I, anyway, um, I don't think I I I would be hmm. I don't know how I would feel about a game that was meant to be a big prequel story telling the story of the very first Mortal Kombat tournament. Um. You know, uh, like that, um, that, that would be a weird, that, that, that would to me, and and we'll see. Right. But like, if I look at that versus the, Hey, uh, we're, we're able to retell the story and we're going to spin time forward into something that resembles a more modern, because, you know, remember the Mortal Kombat games, generally speaking, have taken place in a relatively modern era. You know, Johnny Cage is a movie star, so movies exist. 
uh, as of more, the original, the first Mortal Kombat one. Um, and so it's always been in a relatively modern era. Um, and I like that about it because it sets it in a really weird there's like a lot of really weird juxtapositions you get to have there as a result. So by the time you get to Mortal Kombat 3 and Earth is being overrun or whatever, and you've got city streets, but then you've also got ancient temples and portals and all this other crazy shit. I think it just gives them a wider variety of um areas and realms or whatever else uh to to pull from. Um, to where you can have a cop like Striker in your game, or robots, or hey, we took these ninjas, we turned them into robots. Like that's great. Um, so something that is rewound way, way, way further back from that, in a way that you know, if it does all like, where, where do you set it at that point? Is it um? I, I, you know, yeah, where, where, when, and where do you set it? Does, does it even matter because it's a game that is set across multiple realms? Like maybe Earth's timeline doesn't even matter uh, at that point. Um, and, and maybe they go in a, in a different direction that way. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I think there, there's a lot of options there. I guess I just, I like the idea of this, this cop has a taser and a pistol. I think, I think it really, I think it comes down to that. And like, literally, I think it's the robot ninjas. I think the, you know, like you could do some silly shit and be like, I don't know. We used magic and steam. We use steampunk magic to make robots that hold the essence and soul of, a, you know, like you could, you could probably have a bunch of cockamamie weird schemes to, to put some of those characters and some of those concepts into a game that took place in ancient history or, or whatever else. But yeah, I don't know. We'll we'll see what that thing ends up being. I don't know. Like all, the other thing I would say also is that they need a dramatic change after three mostly successful games in a similar format. Um, I would I they a, a, a more dramatic change for that franchise for that character or whatever like something dramatic that you just go like holy smoke like 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 a big difference I think could be really cool and they're due for that as long as they don't go and try and make it a weapon fighter. Uh, as long as they don't do that again. Wouldn't that be weird? If they're just like, have you guys, uh, you guys seen Soul Calibur? We're thinking maybe we could find a way to bring that into, into, you know, the, the other, uh, other, you know, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. That's, that's, that's not, that's not necessarily what I'm looking for. Um, I'm trying to, someone said something in chat that, I, uh, that is newsy that I'm attempting to run down right now. And, uh, and I'm taking a look to see if this is, actually the case here. It's a video. So did they kill PVE? Is that the um 
Okay, a lot of these, it's it's a it's a hour long video, but they're also kind of saying, hopefully PVE will. Some of the comments are like, hopefully PVE will come soon. So I don't know if is that killing talent trees in PVE. All right, okay, maybe that's maybe that's not newsworthy. We'll look at that. We'll let that develop. We'll let that cook a little bit. Trackmania is out on consoles and on Amazon Luna as of I want to say yesterday. Um, and uh, yeah, they've been running a beta of Trackmania on console for a little bit, and now it is just out for real. So you can download it. It's free like it is on PC. You can just download it and play it. Um, it is fine. It is an absolutely acceptable version of that Trackmania game that is that that runs on consoles. I've not seen it on Amazon Luna. I have an Amazon Luna controller around here somewhere, but I canceled that stuff. Um, but, uh, I guess the catch with it for me, so Trackmania, it, it is cross play and it is cross progression. So if you've got your Ubisoft, you play whatever account attached to your console stuff, then, you know, you'll, you'll keep the same ranking or, or whatever else, uh, you'll stay in the same clubs or whatever the catch, as far as I can tell. Uh, unless this was a a launch day bug that is being uh, fixed or something, but the the basic uh, it is it is not cross purchase, so it is a free to play game. But you can subscribe, you can buy like an annual subscription for like ten bucks a month or like thirty bucks for for the high tier access, uh, and and get access to it's like more tracks and kind of more uh, user generated stuff, um. And so if you have club access on PC, as I do, when you log in on the PlayStation, uh, much like with the Destiny 2 DLC, uh, it's like, nah, you, you, you only have free access on this platform. And that's uh, frustrating. So I don't know that I'm going to play Trackmania on console very much, but that's okay. Um, but it is out and that's a totally viable way to play it. So if you want to get involved in the, if you want to catch the sensation that rules the nation of France, then download Trackmania immediately, whether it's on Xbox or whether it's on PlayStation or, Hey, if you play it on Amazon Luna, you don't even have to download it. <laughs> um, I love Trackmania. This is a, I think this is a really good Trackmania. It has been for years. Uh, they're coming up on the, I, I subscribed to three years of access when that thing first came out. Um, or I guess I should say Ubisoft gave me three years of access when that thing first came out and that will expire this July. So yeah. Uh, so we're coming up on it for those of you who, who bought the, the three year deal at launch. Um, but yeah. I, I get why the cross purchase thing didn't happen uh, on uh, on Trackmania, but it is uh, still uh, disappointing because <laughs> I I don't know I would play it for trophies or whatever, but I you know I want my skins I want my skins. Um, does the new Trackmania have Star Wars Metallica in it? I believe someone did port Star Wars Metallica over to the current Trackmania. The current Trackmania servers, like you don't really find a lot of servers running custom music. I, it was something that I was told was possible with current Trackmania. 
um, that there are plugins and such that do exist that allow you to do that on a custom server, but I don't see anyone doing it anymore. And it's disappointing because to me, that was such a crucial part of the Trackmania server experience. And I, I want to run my own server someday with all of the custom music things that no one else seems to have the guts to run anymore. Uh, because I have a directory full of augs of the nastiest, um, the nastiest, filthiest, most disgusting dubstep remixes in the on the history of the planet uh, that need to go somewhere. They're all already in in aug format, so you know, got to do something with them. Um, okay, I have received an email from the public relations department about Overwatch Two here, so maybe this will break it down. But this is going to be the most positive spin on it, I guess. Also, so maybe it, it, I assume it is missing something. Uh, Overwatch 2 today unveiled a high-level roadmap of what players can expect in 2023, which includes the single largest drop of new gameplay released at one time since launch. All coming in Season 6. Players can look forward to PvE story missions in Season 6, complete with in-game cinematics that will push the narrative arc of Overwatch forward for the first time since the original game release. Also coming in Season 6 are a new support hero, a new core game mode in Flashpoint, and more. Details for all of this will be shared in the coming months before Season 6 launches later this summer. Also included in today's announcement was an update on general PvE development. When Overwatch 2 was originally announced in 2019, it had two main components, story missions and hero missions. To not pull resources away from the live game, the team has made the difficult decision to cut hero missions. Okay. All right. You can learn more about that decision and other details on the 2023 roadmap by watching our live stream VOD. So, yeah. Uh, that kind of sounds a lot like Overwatch 1, but I guess I don't know, really know what the, what the difference between story missions and hero missions is not clear to me, a person who has not been putting a ton of focus on it. But yeah, uh, one would imagine hero missions would be telling a specific character's story and, and all of that sort of stuff. And whereas story missions might be something, maybe that's something done in a more of a, uh, Titanfall one thing where you're playing multiplayer matches, but technically there's a story unfolding at the same time. I don't know. I do not know. Well, uh, you could go watch their live stream. If you want more details on that, I suppose I do not play enough overwatch one or two. To give you the answer there. Uh, the Super Mario Brothers movie is out. Like, you can buy it for a digital. You can get a... You can pay money for a digital copy of it. That's how that works now, I guess. Um, before it comes out on Blu-ray and everything else. Um, yeah, True Blue Review has it down. Yeah, the Overwatch porn content is plummeted, which should tell you everything you need to know about Overwatch. If people aren't, where, where is the, what's the hot, what's the hot porn game now? I guess steam is just rotten with actual porn games now. So maybe people are like, oh, I don't need to, I don't need to do that anymore. Um, but, uh, yes, you can, you can buy yourself a digital copy of the super Mario brothers movie for 30 bones and watch it. That's, that's what I intend to do. Um, and, and watch that movie. At first, I was like, 30 bucks? That's fucking stupid money. I'm like, oh, wait, no. Movie tickets are probably like 16 bucks each now. So, 
that's probably still quite a bit cheaper than, you know, taking the family to the movies or, or whatever. But, um, my daughter has played just enough Mario Kart to care about, uh, to where she really cares about princess peach. I, uh, acquired a save for Mario Kart seven and put it onto my three DS to unlock all of the tracks and characters and stuff. So now she has, uh, what there's, um, Daisy and Rosalina are in that game too. And it's more, it's too much choice for her. She accidentally picks the, if she picks the banana peel set of tracks, she's very sad when it loads up. I think it's like the jungle track or whatever. When it comes, she's like, no, I don't want to do this one. But, but hey, um, I, th- yeah, I think I'm, I think I'm going to show her that film. Uh, I think I'm going to watch the Mario movie with her. Actually, I will probably watch it myself and then put it on for her to watch at a, at a different time <laughs> is probably how that will end up going down. Um, but yeah, so you can, you can buy that now you're on your whatever platform you go buy your movies from Amazon, Apple movies, app iTunes. You're going to go over to iTunes and buy yourself a movie. I don't know. Uh, the European uh, Union, the EU, the European Commission, according to Video Games Chronicle, has waived, uh, has cleared the acquisition of Activision Blizzard by Microsoft. They're like, yeah, man, it's cool over there in the EU. Uh, conditioned uh, on Microsoft fully complying with several commitments related to the cloud gaming market. And so this has led to another uh, kind of set of announcements for how Microsoft is going to handle cloud gaming stuff with the Activision Blizzard lineup as it pertains to appearing on cloud services and uh, competing cloud services. And yes, that massive business, the cloud gaming market. Um, And uh, let's see here. What else video games Chronicle has to say about it? The EU's investigation into the deal indicated it would not harm rival consoles and rival multi-game subscription services but that it could harm competition in the distribution of games via cloud game streaming services and in the supply of PC operating systems. To address the competition concerns, Microsoft offered the following licensing commitments with a 10-year duration. One, a free license to consumers in the EEA that would allow them to stream via any cloud game streaming services of their choice all current and future Activision Blizzard PC and console games for which they have a license. So I guess that would mean if you purchased a Diablo 2 remastered or whatever, if you purchased an Activision game uh, on Battle.net or wherever, you would be able to stream it on the cloud gaming streaming service of your choice. Which, okay. A corresponding free license to cloud gaming streaming service providers to allow EEA-based gamers to stream any Activision Blizzard's PC and console games. So, yes, that they would license it to competitors. Uh, The competing cloud gaming services like GeForce Now, they've already gone and done a lot of deals like this, but this this is, uh, I guess, a free license, I guess, means that then Microsoft is not making money off of that. I guess they would still theoretically have to buy the game on a lot of those services. So it's not, they're just not making any extra money off of the streaming is probably how that works. But yes, these are both free licenses. 
uh, to these competing services. Um, let's see. These licenses were, and this is from the commission here. These licenses will ensure that gamers that have purchased one or more Activision games on a PC or console store or that have subscribed to a multi-game subscription service that includes Activision games have the right to stream those games with any cloud game streaming service of their choice and play them on any device using any operating system. The commitments fully address the competition concerns identified by the commission and represent a significant improvement for cloud gaming as compared to the current situation. Um, and then there's quotes from Microsoft's Brad Smith and Activision's Bobby Kotick. The EC conducted an extremely, this is Bobby Kotick's, uh, the EC has conducted an extremely thorough, deliberate process to gain a comprehensive understanding of gaming. As a result, they approved our merger with Microsoft, although they required stringent remedies to ensure robust competition in our rapidly growing industry. He added, we have deep roots in Europe. Our company was founded in France. Was Activision founded in France or was Activision founded in Southern California? I I don't know what Is it because of Vivendi and the Blizzard and the like is there some kind of is he is there some dumb cuz yeah, Activision well, Activision is based in Santa Monica, but they, yeah, they were founded in Sunnyvale. So they were founded in Northern California. But I guess, yes, Activision Blizzard was Vivendi. And so that is French. They would never call themselves a French company, except in this highly specific situation where it benefits them to say, yes, we're a French company. Yes, of course. We love the European uh, Union. Whatever, is that what it stands for? The U and is it European Union? Anyway. Euros, they spend. <laughs> um, so I think the hope here was that the, the EU decision would also um, kind of push things in the UK and cause the UK or, you know, put pressure on the UK to overturn this on appeal. It seems like the UK caught wind of this and they were just like, yo, fuck these guys. Let's just say something now. Like, no, we don't need to say, no, let's just, no, let's just, let's get onto, no, I'm, no, I got, I got, I got, I got an open ear. Um, Sarah Cardell, CEO of the Competition and Markets Authority, is like, nah. The UK, US, and European competition authorities are unanimous that this merger would harm competition in cloud gaming. The CMA concluded that cloud gaming needs to continue as a free competitive market to drive innovation and choice in this rapidly evolving sector. Microsoft's proposals accepted by the European Commission today would allow Microsoft to set the terms and conditions for this market for the next 10 years. They would replace a free, open, and competitive market with one subject to ongoing regulation of the games Microsoft sells, the platforms to which it sells them, and the conditions of sale this is one of the reasons the CMA's independent panel group rejected Microsoft's proposals and prevented this deal. While we recognize and respect that the, e the European Commission is entitled to take a different view, the CMA stands by its de uh, division decision. Sorry. Um. So yeah, I don't know. They're not they're not over the hump in the UK, obviously, and then they are certainly not over the hump in the US quite yet either. Um. 
I just, uh, I, I don't see this as something that is going to hold back cloud gaming because I think cloud gaming is such a kind of a non-factor right now. It's a, it's a neat choice to have. It's a neat option. Um, but I don't think that, you know, and, and, and some of the stuff that came up last week or the, over the past couple of weeks, I think makes a lot of sense where running games on phones is a really cool idea, except that phones keep getting more powerful and people are just running games natively on their phones. As opposed to watching a video stream, 5G is not uh, low latency enough to be good enough to do this. Good Wi-Fi, uh, I would say, is not always good enough uh, for them to do this. Um, but yes, also, yes, the, the, the point stands is like, well, that's what it looks like now. But if Microsoft locks this down right now and then in 10 years is able to walk away from all these deals and do whatever, whatever, what will it mean? Theoretically, the technology will have gotten better by then. Will they have a stranglehold on the business? I say no, absolutely not. Because I don't think that... Um, I, I don't think that the the demand for cloud gaming is going to be there. I mean, it's hard to predict over the next decade, right? But I just... You know, we'll see how internet infrastructure develops um, and how much better that stuff can get. The speed of light is still the speed of light. And so transmitting data and 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 routing data around the internet and, and everything is still going to be subject to the fucking laws of physics. And there's going to be some inherent latency there no matter what. And so, like, the very idea, you know, and, and Ubisoft is just announcing, they're like, hey, man, Trackmania is on Amazon Luna. Like, no fucking thanks. Have you played Trackmania? Trackmania is a game that comes down to hundredths of seconds when it comes to setting these times on these tracks. Like there are people that use keyboards for more direct because they, because an analog stick and you know, there's, there's track mania is maybe one of the ultimate examples of like the highly specific, very input focused, very direct response things in games uh, more so than most other games. And so the, just the very concept of like playing track mania on a stream, I'm not interested um, if you need to do that because you don't have the hardware to do it, it's great that that's an option. But I, I don't, I, I, I care too much about games to want to play them that way as a primary solution. Now, how much better does latency get over the next 10 years? You would like to think it would be massively better you would love to believe that latency would include would would improve generationally exponentially in that time frame but you know look at the last 10 years where were we with internet stuff in 2013 latency wise not speed wise i think speed wise we're actually starting to make some headway to the point where like you know and and this is something about just i managed to move to the right city, I guess, but like, I'm going to be able to get a five gigabit symmetrical, symmetrical connection into my home. Um, 
And I'm going to do that as soon as they allow it, as soon as they finish building it or whatever. I'm going to do the shit out of that. But that's not going to suddenly make the latency dramatically better than my, you know, one gig over 40 connection I have here now. Um, you know, latency and bandwidth are two different things. And, and for as much as we're improving on the, the speed type stuff, um, the latency isn't necessarily improving with it. When you get to mobile bandwidth, obviously 5G was designed to be better at that stuff. It just, I don't know if it's a deployment thing or it's just not happening at the the rate that it should have. But, um, you know, when I've been in a 5G or when my phone says 5G plus in some ways or whatever, um, it still doesn't feel like it's something that you're going to want to play games on. But that's me someone who's been playing games for 30, 40 years for, for 40 years, 40 over, over 40, let's over 40 years. Um, some guy who just plays basketball once a year and doesn't want to buy a, you know, when, when, you know, the, the guy had in here fixing the, the walls and stuff. And, and he was primarily using Stadia because that's just, he didn't want to, like he had a laptop and it was getting older and he wanted to play games that his laptop wouldn't run. And it was a perfect scenario for someone who was a little more, more casual. I mean, I say more casual, but also this guy was putting hundreds of hours into Red Dead and, and, you know, like casual is a really weird term to use, but like you have people who are price sensitive in a way that they don't want to buy consoles. They don't want to invest in a high end PC. And they just like, if I can just play a subscription service and, uh, and, and just get access to the games I want to play and play them good enough. Some folks are going to not know any better or, or, you know, or, or it's fine for them, the latency or whatever. They can still succeed in the game. It's not a competitive game, I guess is the thing. Right. And as long as you've got a, a non competitive game, and you can build it in a way that it can run with that latency and still feel okay, then that's fine. I was even, you know, on Stadia, I was able to play Destiny 2 and not have the worst. Like, it was playable. You could do it. I wouldn't want to play the competitive multiplayer, but you could play with people and go out and do missions. I could aim shots. I could could line up headshots. I could generally play the game as it was designed to be played. You feel it. I felt it. You feel like, oh, this is not as responsive as I wish it was, but, but you could do it. For plenty of people, that'll be enough for, you know, especially like for people that are used to playing games on a touchscreen of a phone, you know, like, like people are, are very open to and accepting of a lot of those compromises out there if they're, you know, because some people just don't take that stuff as seriously. Um, and I think that's where the growth comes in, right? As you've, you've got people there that maybe are like, oh yeah, there's, they're putting out another PlayStation, but do I need it? And they're putting on another, I mean, maybe that'll be a different story on the PlayStation side of things, but you know, they bought Guy Kai. That'll pay off any day now. Um, the PlayStation streaming stuff works well enough. I don't know. It, it's, I, it does not feel as robust as, is even the X cloud stuff does, but it's, it's most of the way there. I don't know. Um, But, you know, it's hard to look at the next 10 years of the, the streaming business and, and try to figure out, like, what matters? What, what's going to matter there? What's going to be the thing that attracts players to it? Is it 
you know, is it another hard shift? Like, you know, how much is the PlayStation six going to cost considering how much the PlayStation five costs? You know, what's going to be the, where does that net out? Where, where does that cross a line eventually to where you get a majority of players that are just like, Hey, yeah, I bought a PlayStation five, but boy, oh boy, I'm not going to spend another $700 on a PlayStation six. If this is, if this option is available and acceptable or, or whatever, if I could just get this streaming service and play the last of us four uh, this way, then I'll just do that. And, you know, for some people that'll be fine and good enough and, and whatever. So yeah, you know, we'll see. I mean, surely the cloud gaming market will have to grow over the next decade because it would be hard for it to shrink anymore. You know, it's not, it's just kind of a non-factor right now, but we'll see. I don't know. Like it, it's an interesting market, right? Because now we've got the cloud gaming stuff kind of happening, but then you've all, now you've got like a, what seems to be a real market emerging for this idea of a portable PC of a handheld gaming device that runs PC games whether that's a Steam Deck or this this Asus thing that's coming out next month. Um, I'd be interested in getting my hands on one of those. I, I, don't, I don't know anyone at Asus to contact and be like, hey, I'm an internet man. Let me hold your video game box. Um, but, um, you know, that market is now happening in a way that I think is way more interesting than cloud gaming like it comes with a different set of compromises but to me those compromises are almost interesting of like what can i get away with on this weird handheld device um and the steam deck is like doubly so but then you know it's not a lot of people don't want to tinker with shit or, or fuck around but like the way you can fuck around with a steam deck uh and be like i'm running all this shit on Linux. that's the craziest shit ever and it runs really well we're over here playing tekken 7 on Linux. Does it run perfectly? Eh, it's fine. It's fine. Um, you know, the Asus thing running Windows natively seems like it's, you know, pretty cool too. And, you know, will be more tinkery in some ways and less tinkery in others. I don't know. Doesn't seem like, I, I don't know. I, I want to get my hands on that thing because there are solutions for some of those problems of like, we made another app that runs on top of your store apps. Like that doesn't, I don't know, I don't know about that, but. Um, and then they have trade-offs on that thing where they went for a 1080p screen instead of the 800p or whatever of the, the Steam Deck. And so, yes, it's a more powerful chip inside, but also it's trying to run at a higher resolution and the battery life sounds like a disaster. I mean, the battery life is a disaster on all of those things, right? The Steam Deck battery life is not like fucking awesome. You're not like, oh, yeah. And then, you know, hearing people say like, oh, yeah, the Asus thing, you can maybe get two hours of battery life out of it. Like, ah, good. <laughs> like, that's terrible. Um, but hey, plug it in. I don't know. Like, well, don't act. It's not actually a portable device. It's a, I brought it to a hotel and plugged it in device. It's a, I plugged it in on the plane device at that point. Um, but like, you have that market kind of establishing itself for real for once in a way that's like, I think, super exciting. And so I'm more interested in that end of the market of like, how, what are, what are ways we can get more people to play more games? I think devices like that are actually pretty awesome. Of course, they're like fucking 
600 bucks, 700 bucks in some cases. So it's not a casual purchase the way a streaming subscription would be. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, I don't know, like that, all that stuff is really exciting about gaming in a kind of broad way, right? Like when we think about some of the stuff, and this is, you know, Microsoft's been beating this drum for a long time, right? But it's everyone's, everyone wants it or they should is that, that very idea of like, how do we get more people in the door playing games? playing console games, playing high-end PC games. You know, like the mobile market is going to blow up on its own because, you know, people have already decided they need to own a phone for non-gaming reasons. And so you've got one and you're like, oh, I can play a game where this spinny knife just spins and if I keep tapping the knife, it spins? Great. I don't want to play the spinny knife game on my PC. Uh, actually, I kind of do. But point being, uh, it's kind of a different sort of experience. Anyway, we'll see. I don't know. I, 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 uh, I still think that the, and I'm trying to think like, why do I feel this way? I'm trying to like kind of really enumerate, um, my feelings on the Microsoft and Activision deal, because generally speaking, I have looked at it and said like, that seems like that would be a good thing. And I think it's because so much of this process was born out of the turmoil at Activision Blizzard. Like, remember when this deal got announced, it was like, Hey, Bobby Kotick has to fucking get the fuck out. Like, fuck that guy. Like he sucks. Like fuck this. And all of the people working around him are apparently fucking scumbags too. Like there's just this, this, huge groundswell like oh like the the culture at activision and blizzard separately are fucking awful we've got to get these fuckos out of there and then microsoft kind of swooped in and said like what if we bought it and you look at it and go like oh actually yeah that would be i mean that would probably actually be a pretty good option that would uh, you know hopefully uh, increase the happiness of the people working at those studios and, you know, and, and help them that would, yes. So like the idea, I think that was the, the big early first positive thing. And yes, we'll see how will that work in practice? Assuming it happens, we'll see. Yes. There were parts of Activision that wanted to unionize. Microsoft was very like, Oh yeah, we would, we would be open to that. Yeah, we'd be open to it. Um, and so, you know, we'll have to see. Like, if it goes down, we'll have to see what happens there. Because obviously, they can't. They can't even commit to a world where Bobby Kotick is gone on the other end of this sale because they can't come out and say that because they don't own it yet. But that was the impression that I kind of heard, or that was kind of the unspoken thing. Was just like, yeah, yeah, we'll take care. We'll take care we'll uh yeah we'll uh, we'll handle we'll handle the situation how are you gonna handle it ah, we'll handle this. so that that was the i think that was the biggest kind of thing that sounded positive out of the gate um was that microsoft and 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 then i look at it from the larger perspective of the activision catalog of ip which activision is seemingly incapable of addressing and I think about it in terms of like Microsoft with Game Pass is just better suited to allow people to play and enjoy some of those games again. Um, 
Singularity is a game that comes up way more often than it probably should, but you could put a singularity on a game pass. You could put a, you know, like, uh, all of those, those Activision games of that generation could kind of come back around and exist on game pass. But also I look at it as like, you know, pitfall and the, the kind of the classic, the original Activision IP fishing derby, you know, the stuff that matters, but no, no, but you know, Pitfall, Kaboom, River Raid, um, like the the kind of classic stuff. Could we end up in a scenario where I I don't I don't trust Activision to ever do anything meaningful with any of that stuff? But I think Microsoft, if you gave them the right pitch, they would go for it. If an internal team, or if, if you know, they were like, oh, here's a you know, whether it was a or some kind of. <laughs> They're going to bring back game room. All right. But it's all Activision 2600 stuff, you know, but like, but you know what I mean? Like the Microsoft seems like it is more interested in, in the wider swath of the catalog. You could envision Microsoft saying, oh, actually, yes, let's do another one of those Tony Hawk remasters or, hey, let's let, yeah, let's go out there and make another Tony Hawk. Um, Let's make a new one. Let's get the right people in place to do it. And then it'll get delayed 9,000 times and never come out. And, you know, like all the other Microsoft stuff. Um, But anyway, um, I digress. I think I I just, I think that there's a, a greater possibility for some of those games to be remembered. Um and uh, used someday again under Microsoft than they would be under Activision, which Activision, at least the Activision side of Activision, I mean, the Blizzard side is, you know, they're losing people, they're, you know, they're cutting features out of Overwatch, like, you know, Diablo 4 seems like it's come together here, and 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 that's been pretty awesome when they've let people get their hands on it. Um, But like, the Activision side feels lost. The Activision side feels like this. It's, it's like a really shitty way to put it. I, I, I'll frame this by saying, remember, generally speaking, I really do like the Call of Duty games. That said, Activision feels like it's in some weird death spiral where they're going to ride Call of Duty into the goddamn ground. The plane's going to crash and then they're going to walk away from the crash, go, what's next? And then they're going to go, oh, fuck, nothing. We've cultivated nothing. Nothing else is here. There's a vacuum. There's a, we, we found a closet with a picture of Tony Hawk's face on the closet and we opened it up and it's just cobwebs and nothing. There's nothing in here. We, the crash bandicoot room, there is still a light on in there. So we're going to figure that. Well, there's something going on there. (sighs) What are we going to do? I don't know. That that doesn't feel good, and I, that, and again, that's from someone who you know, like I, I really do enjoy the Call of Duty games um, when they're good, and this most recent one has, generally speaking, been quite good. So there you have it. But you know, there's just a there's another world where I don't know. Maybe they they maybe they just like they feathered the brake pedal a little bit on Guitar Hero instead of just like. 
Let's crash this franchise into this brick wall as fast as we can and get the money out while we can. Fucking floor it, motherfucker. And then boom, done. Eh, there's factors there that would make that, you know, obviously the, the plastic instrument business is not going to, especially in a world where digital sales are rising the way they are. Like, hey, that's maybe not the best example. But Tony Hawk, I think, is the perfect one. Um, you know, and I think there's something you could do with, with some of those franchises, perhaps. But but I think, again, the, the wider swath of... Like, Activision used to be a very diverse company in terms of its output, the style of games it was putting out. Um, and they used to put out a lot of games. And no one puts out a lot of games anymore, so it's obviously... The, the times have changed, but Activision is really locked in on that thing, on Call of Duty, in a way that feels very unhealthy, especially in a world where Blizzard is kind of not... Uh, again, like I, I am very much looking forward to Diablo Four, but a lot of the news out of Blizzard does not sound healthy. Does not sound, you know. Again, you know, everyone's lost people. Um, I just saw someone. I just, I just saw someone that was affiliated with Call of Duty for a long time from a public relations uh, perspective that is now working on Apex. I was like, oh. Good for him. Making moves. Making moves. Nice. Um, but yeah, you know, it, it's just a it's just a weird fucking company. They had de- remember when they had Destiny for a while? Remember when Activision was publishing Destiny and the story was like the story I heard was the the guy who was whose job it was to keep drumming up new IP, you know, the the head of the was like president, I guess he was. The guy at Activision who was supposed to be out there trying to figure out, like, what's next for Activision? What else are we doing? What's, uh, what, what are we working on that's not these big franchises? What's next for us? That he was spending his time, his kids were drawing ships, and he was taking these drawings that his ki- and, and bringing those to Bungie and saying, you should, what if you did something like this? <laughs> really? Oh, man out another album dog um just like crazy shit you're like all right um so i you know i i don't know <laughs> i don't know man i don't know so i you know when i think about activision over the last five years decade whatever you want to say it's the sort of thing you just look at and go like yeah i bet microsoft could probably do a better job on that stuff at recognizing things other than call of duty other than the the big pillars that they've got right now, they could find something to do with that shit. I think that's, that's, that's the big part of why I felt good about that, that it would probably be better for the people. We'll see. I don't know. And then it would be better for the, the IP, the franchises for, for the players that would get a wider variety of games that way. Um, but, uh, but that, that's kind of, that, that, that's how I kind of felt like, oh, yeah, th- this would probably be a good thing for people playing games and people making them if this happened. Um, gosh. What else is going on here? Um, Sega is open to making more movies based on its IP. There's a story from Video Games Chronicle um, that comes out of a Q&A session that was part of their full year earnings report back in April. 
I guess this is a new English transcript of of the event. Uh, yeah, I, it, like <laughs> this is one of those things you're like, yeah, no shit. I bet you would. I bet you would love to keep making movies that were the size of Sonic the Hedgehog. But also, what do you? Uh, so okay, here we, uh, here's the the quote. We would like to take on challenges outside of the Sonic IP should the opportunity arise. If we can match the timing of game launches to the release of movies, it would be extremely effective from a marketing perspective. And there are also significant benefits such as increasing awareness of our IP and increasing the number of touch points for customers as we achieved with the Sonic movie. Um, so, yeah, I mean, uh, clearly we need a Bonanza Brothers movie. We need a, um, a Floygan. Yeah, I'm a Floygan Brothers, of course. Floygan Brothers is meant to be an episodic franchise. They just didn't tell you that the rest of the episodes would be, uh, you know, full-length feature films. Um, but actually, what if, you know, hey, what if Shenmue just became, what if the rest of Shenmue was just movies and we didn't have to play them? That'd be better, right? What IP that Sega has, other than Sonic the Hedgehog, do you think would be big enough to carry its name in worldwide cinema uh, and also would be a good pick for a game. Yakuza, okay, yeah. You could certainly make gritty Yakuza films. That would be welcome if done right. But Yakuza, the games are already so cinematic and exciting and and, and have such a depth to them that I, I don't know that a movie would be that exciting. Um, Persona is a really strong answer here. Um, where I, I think that, yes, you could turn the, the concepts of any one of the last three or so Persona games would be, could, could be a, a pretty solid film. Um, but like, yeah, Jambo Safari. Yeah, you could you could make a crazy taxi movie. In fact, they're going to, right? That's that was on the list of other things they were doing. Um but I mean in terms of wide mainstream appeal. So I don't mean fantasy star. You know what I mean? Like That's not to say I would not watch a fantasy star movie. I watched the Fantasy Star Online 2 anime. It had a brand new gate in it. Um, and, I, you know, I, yeah, but I think about like Sega owned franchises, like, you know, the, the temptation is to think about like, what were the big hits of the 16 bit era that they could bring back alongside a film, right? Um, yeah. Do you, is it altered beasts, golden axe streets of rage, like, I just don't think that, like, Sega's most iconic franchises necessarily plug right into, like, certainly not a film the size of Sonic the Hedgehog. You know what I mean? Yeah, they're like, they'll do that com. They already announced, like, there's that treatment for Comic Zone is around. I don't know what state that's in, but, like, Comic Zone and, um, was it Crazy Taxi? Was that the other one? Were those the two that were, were floating around as like, yes, we're making films. Um, 
yeah, I think it's just, it's hard, man. Like Sega's never had anything as mainstream as Sonic. You know, you're not going to go make an Alex Kidd movie. I mean, if you are, it's going to be a weird porno. That's like, it's, that's not a big mainstream film. You're like, we're making an Alex Kidd movie for the grownups. This guy's got big ears and he knows how to use them. I don't know. Um, uh, but like, I, I, I just, I don't a total war. What are you going to, you going to make a total war franchise film? Yeah. After they buy. Yeah. I mean, they'll, after the, the Rovio stuff happens, they'll have angry birds. There's already been an angry birds movie. Bayonetta. Um, do they own Bay- this Sega? I mean, is it a situation where they have to license it out? Is that how that happens? Because Nintendo published Bayonetta and and Platinum developed it, but I assume Sega still retains some kind of rights in there somewhere in the middle. Um, but I, I don't actually know the answer to that question. Um, yeah, I don't. You know, it's I, it's just a weird. It's, it's a weird. Yeah, the the stuff that Sega owns, I, I don't know. Again when we talk about the size of Sonic, the film and the, the Sonic universe, the Sonic character and the, the Q rating of Sonic, the hedgehog and all that other horseshit. Like they don't have anything else that really comes close to that. So like, I think you could do, if you wanted to make a ninja movie and call it Shinobi, you certainly could. Let's make shadow dancer. It's a ninja and his dog and they go and do stuff. Yeah. Toe jam and Earl make an animated movie. Take the Alf cartoon. Not to just get into the Blue Sky discourse, but take the ALF cartoon, ALF the animated series, pull ALF out of it, put in Toe Jam and Earl, re-release it, you're fucking done, you're golden. It's basically the same thing. Um, Not to get into the Blue Sky discourse, but yeah, you could do Altered Beast and just it's just Animorphs for a new generation. You sickos. Uh, yeah, I, I just, I don't know. Um, and our last little bit of news here that was sent in, uh, that was uh, submitted to us via email. Hugh sent this in, in Virginia. E40 has received an honorary doctorate degree from Grambling State University. He's received a doctorate in music from Grambling. Um... And uh, he's quoted here in this story from HipHopDX.com. This means so much to me, man, being from Magazine Street, 1300 block, Vallejo, California. You understand me? The Bay Area, E-40 told the crowd. Yes, 1300 block magazine. Even he's still talking about the 1300 block in his, that's fantastic. I love E-40. I love E-40. Um... He's also donated a hundred thousand dollars. Maybe it's related to this. I don't know. He's donated a hundred thousand dollars to Grambling to bolster their marching band and to help with the installation of a recording studio. The school is going to name the studio after him. Um, and that it's the E forty is a doctor. That's Doctor E forty now, like Doctor Dre. Um, Doctor Earl. That's so, that's so good. Congratulations to E40 
uh, for this, for his turf burritos, for uh, just his many different dealings in and out of the music business. E40 is an inspiration to us all. Um, we here at the sh- at the program, we love E40. Um, and that's it for the news. Why don't we get into some emails? I, I this is not this is not an email button. But I'll push it just for fun. Um, podcast at guard.bike is the email address. Send in your emails and I will get to them. Um, Seth wrote in talking about, we've been talking a lot about the Xbox these past couple of weeks because there's just been a lot of Xbox in the news and the the future of the Xbox brand and just all of that stuff here. Um but Seth writes in to talk about the Xbox One reveal, which we, we got into quite a bit last week. On last week's po- podcast, you recounted the events of the Xbox One's now infamous reveal. I didn't watch the event myself, but like many people, I sure did read the headlines that followed about the console needing to always be connected to the internet, not being able to play used games, etc. Sometime after, I vaguely recall reading some random comment online about how Microsoft could really have differentiated the Xbox One from the competition if they stuck to their original vision rather than going back after the mass backlash to the reveal. Like I said, I didn't actually watch the reveal and only heard the big negative headlines. So my question is this, how did Microsoft propose that the console always needing to be connected to the internet would set the console apart and actually benefit the end user? Obviously for Microsoft, it means less profits lost to used game sales, but surely they must have had some messaging as to what this would allow for the players that otherwise wouldn't be possible, right? I don't remember ever actually hearing or reading a consumer-friendly explanation for their original vision, but it seems crazy to me that they wouldn't have some clear selling point explaining how those always connected to the internet thing could actually benefit players. Unless, of course, the whole Xbox One reveal was even worse than I thought. Yep. There, yes, no, there was, uh, yeah, the, they did not articulate the benefit to consumers there very well at all. There was something around the idea of, oh, if the game is on your account, then your family can play stuff that they're kind of already doing now with like the home account stuff on an Xbox, the primary account stuff on a PlayStation already kind of does that sort of stuff. It wasn't, you know, they, they kind of got there without it. Um, the main thing I remember about this was that the supposed benefit would be that you didn't need discs anymore. So it was this very idea that like you would get a disc and they never articulated how this would work. If there would be a key in the box along with the disc, or if they were going to imprint serial numbers on the discs themselves to make them these one-time use objects but the idea is that you would put the disc in the console, it would register the game to your account, and that was it. You could take that disc and throw it in the fucking garbage like it was a Divix disc or something, you know? It was like, fuck this trash. And then there was like, well, to use games, we could, you know, you could theoretically give the disc to someone else, and then they could use that to install the game. But to play it, they would have to buy a license to, the, maybe there'd be a way to get a discount license if you sell your, there was like, a, eh, maybe this is, but I don't know how much of that was them talking about it and how much of that was like, the press and people out there trying to like come up with a reason why this 
was happening. They're like, what is the, so how does this work with used games? How does this work with this? And, and, and there was some talk about like, well, maybe they could make it so you could sell a game off of your account to someone else. And that removes the access from your account, makes the disc valid again. And so you can give it to somebody else and they can install it. That was like ridiculous hoop jumping bullshit that never sounded like meaningfully beneficial to consumers at least not in a way that didn't come with like so many caveats and so much like loss of freedoms on the other things you could do with a disc, like sell it used, buy it used and, and whatever else. It just across the board, it really felt like they didn't have their shit together with what they were trying to do there, which is probably why the messaging around it was so bad. Now, the one thing that I do remember happening that I bet was a nightmare for people at Microsoft in the middle of this nightmare. Here's another nightmare is an engineering nightmare. The entire dashboard and front end and firmware and system software and every software thing built for the Xbox one was built around the idea of you having a full-time connection to the internet and a connect plugged in. And everything was built under the assumption that those things would be there. So everything about what happened when you put a disc in the console, every single facet of using the platform was based around the idea of it always being online. And for outages and stuff, they were like, oh, we got a little, we got brief fallbacks for this, but you're going to have to check in every three days. You know, they were... They were getting hammered with questions like, what if I take my Xbox to my cabin where there's no internet and I want to play games with my friends? Like, am I not going to be able to access any of my library because I'm not online? Like, what the fucking fuck? And so there was little bits and pieces about like, well, you know, you'll have to check in every seven days, every three days. You know, they have to connect occasionally to make sure that, you know, you're that you're able to, you know, validate your licenses. Or, you know, there was all these kind of half there are all these like very real scenarios that they did not have great answers for on top of that like real use cases not necessarily the primary use case for an xbox but like the just stuff they were just like what the fuck are you gonna do to address this are you just gonna are people just you know and and i think we looked at it at the time was like well clearly they must have done the math somewhere and said it's okay if we fuck over all these players. Clearly they must have like projected some numbers that say like, Oh, we'll lose people on this for sure. But the benefit to us on like eliminating used sales plus whatever else, like that'll be way better. And no, it wasn't. It fucked them harder than they ever could have imagined. But now imagine, okay, Microsoft makes that decision and it gets out there into the marketplace that that's where they're going with it. Sony clowns on them. Um, the heat is intensifying. The project is inclu- increasingly looking like a complete fiasco. The market is speaking loudly and they are saying, we do not want this. Um, and we do not see the benefit to like a family shared library. We don't see the benefit to this and that, you know, whatever it is. Um, and they go, okay, 
we need to figure this out. We need to make this right. We need to reverse course on this. We have misjudged the market. We need to get this back. This is on fire bad. And now imagine they make that decision to say, okay, we are going to make it so that disks work like real disks to a certain extent. I mean, they're they are still only keys. You still install the game fully to the hard drive and nothing is running off the disk anymore. But that's something that people kind of got used to in the Xbox 360 generation when uh, hard drive installs became available. Um, now imagine you've got to go to this engineering team that has been working on the way that Xbox One boots games and authenticates games and works and that you have to say to them, all right, this console you've been building, all of this software you've been building to uh, under the assumption that it's going to have internet access and that all of the verification and all of the security and everything else is going to be done that way. You need to rip all of that out and build new solutions for authenticating disks, for authenticating game ownership off of a disk for like, like all of these other scenarios that they were able to eliminate because they were like, fuck it. You'll be on the internet. It doesn't matter. The breakneck pace, the, the, the work that my understanding is, is that they then had, you know, a matter of what months, right? Like not a long time before these consoles had to be like getting put in fucking boxes and shipped to fucking stores. And they're like, well, we can have a day one firmware update. That's fine. But like this console needs to fucking play a game when you put a disc in it, when people get it home or we're in trouble. Um, and that they, that, that engineering team then had to fucking completely re-engineer incredibly large parts of the way that console worked in a matter of weeks before that thing was going to be on shelves. And I mean, they, they, I, they pulled, I don't remember hearing any big crazy stories about the Xbox one being completely broken in that regard at launch. So I think they did pull it off, but the, they had been building that thing for years. They had been working on those sorts of concepts for such a long time. And they had made so many decisions early on. Um, and then suddenly all of that was null and void. And they had to go back and fucking fix it and go back and totally rip it all their work out and start over again on significant portions of the OS. And, uh, you know, in, in terms of like how it read games and how it read discs and what it did with discs and what having a disc in the drive meant and like all of those scenarios that they were trying to get away from. Uh, it's fucking crazy. I like, I felt so bad for the, the, the teams that had to do that work because just some fucking dumbass in his office was just like, yeah, this is the right, you know, no, no, no dumbass works alone. Every dumbass has a team around him. Um, and the, the whole thing was just such a clusterfuck. It's just amazing. Just like, just astounding. Like so many of the bets they placed were so misguided. Like, remember, like one of their big pitch for the name of the platform, the big hook for the name of the platform 
was the idea that you would plug your cable box into the back of it also and watch all your TV through your Xbox. It's like, you only need one input. This is Xbox One. It does it all. It's the all-in-one entertainment whatever whatever because it does everything. Plug your cable box that you are desperately trying to cancel. Uh... They misjudged the popularity of streaming services and the role that they would play in the years ahead. They like so many fucking bad calls top to bottom on that thing. Remember they built that whole studio in LA and they were like, we're going to make a halo TV show. I mean, they eventually did, but like there, there was like all of this television programming that they were going to try to make and, um, and, and everything that they were going to try to do with like, oh, we're going to, we're going to make our own television shows. Like that was their stuff around streaming. And they were like, yeah, we're going to quantum break is going to be this landmark moment. And you're like, yeah, I mean, if, if the TV show was good, that'd be great. If the game was good, that'd be even better. Unfortunately, neither end of those things came together, but like they just, you know, they're the, they tried to innovate in departments that no one cared about. And they, they built things that no one wanted or, or very few people wanted. And I remember when they shut those teams down, the like the, the big LA TV studio stuff, like they shut all of it down. They had other whole big programming division and, and everything they were going to try to do. Like, were they going to, I'm trying to remember like that, you know, they were, it was like they were hiring up on teams that to basically do, to basically do what major Nelson was doing. It was almost like there was a, a like, can we youth this up a little bit? Can we get some, you know, um, like stuff that they were trying to make instead of that? That just, I don't know, that had a weird stink on it too. I, I don't know, man. There's just a series of bad decisions, right? And, um, yeah, I don't know. You know, they've they've got better people in those positions now. Um, but whatever. We we, we spent the last couple of weeks talking about that into things. You know. Um, we're not going to rehash all of that again here, but, but yeah, I guess to answer the question, like what was the benefit to consumers of the Xbox one in its original form? I, I don't know that they, I don't know that they were ever able to, if, if they had been able to correctly articulate that, then at least there could have been a conversation, but none of the things they were offering felt like it made any sense at all. Cause yeah, it, it they were leaning on stuff like family sharing, and stuff that did not require them to architect the console in that way. Stuff that they have done, you know, stuff that they've gone on to do. They spent a long time talking about the Kinect and what it could do. Like, they had a whole, you know, when we went up there to see the console for the first time, they had a whole big area where they were like, here, we're going to talk to you about Skype on the Xbox. And we think that this type of video chat of a family in the room talking to grandparents, this is going to be fucking huge. Grandma's going to get an Xbox because this is going to be, uh, cause she's, and she's only going to use it for TV and she's going to, and this is and cause she's going to use the Skype with the grandkids and all of the other shit that they were trying to cram into that thing. And, and the connect interface of holding up your hand and using it to, and pushing forward and, and pushing forward never worked well. Like selecting things with the connect interface fucking broke half the time. Boy, oh boy. And then, yeah, all the privacy stuff around like, oh, this Xbox is always listening to me, huh? That doesn't seem good. Um, Just a series of bad decisions, you know, a series of like misreading the market. 
in conjunction with assuming that the game business was sewn up in a way that they didn't have to worry about it. They're like, eh, you know, this is, we, this, we got this video game shit locked down. Let's get football. Let's watch some football. Let's snap a web browser in and, uh, and, or have football running in the corner while you play Halo or vice versa. You're like, yeah, that doesn't, there were things about the Xbox snap interface that were interesting in terms of whether it was that picture in picture experience or like, you know, the idea of like, I could have help for the game right there as I'm playing it. And you're like, that's, that's, there's something there. That's sort of what PlayStation has tried to do with its like trophy videos or, or whatever. But, and there's, you know, there's, there would be interactive TV scenarios that if you had a console with television running through it, that you could overlay, um, things over the broadcast. Like there's, there's like interactive TV stuff that would not be uninteresting, but not vital. Not vital for that to be an overlay, especially in a world where everyone has their phones and they can sit there and be like, I'm betting on the football game from my phone while it's on my TV. I don't need the betting overlay. I, I don't need that. I'm, I can do that over here. We're fine. Um, like people just didn't need any of that. And um, yeah, I don't know. There just, there just wasn't, they, they were not able to well articulate what they wanted to accomplish with that thing other than television and, and other than the the kind of stated like we got the xbox one it's got one input and one screen but also smart glass for two two screen two whatever you had a second screen experience no one wanted that either uh let's see here Sam in Australia writes in and says, there isn't much left to say about Redfall, but I got thinking how similar this is to Anthem. It's a game with a lot of good stuff on the surface, but lacks any form or depth, form of depth. Should Microsoft be learning from the likes of EA and just stop talking about the game, let it die and move on instead of doing an EA and saying you're fixing things only eight months later to finally give up? Okay, I'll, I'll take that part of it before we get into the next part. I, it's not, okay, Redfall doesn't seem like a live service game the way that Anthem was originally pitched. You know, Anthem was something that if they had nailed Anthem, it could have been a destiny level of success. Um, and Anthem could have been salvaged. I feel like if you, there were, there were core things about Anthem that were actually fun to do. And if they had been better about building the game around those things, um, if they had built a better loot game, if they had had a better cadence of updates, if they had had a more interesting end game, because they kind of launched without one, and then by the time they rolled one out, no one cared anymore. There are, like, those are the problems with Anthem. Redfall is that it's empty. It's like, yes, it's a loot game, but also it, it, nothing about Anthem feels like a game that like, oh, we're going to add on content over time and here's our roadmap and here's this Anthem feels or uh, Redfall feels more like a Borderlands where you're like, okay, here's the thing. And then maybe we sell a couple of DLC story add-ons that take you to different parts of this island or, or whatever. But like, but it, you know, Redfall feels fundamentally like a different thing than Anthem was designed to be. Um, 
I also think that just from the core, I think that Anthem is, is a significantly better video game than Redfall in terms of how it plays, in terms of the options at your disposal and, and, and those sorts of things. Anthem has a higher potential than I feel Redfall would ever have. A world where Anthem is fixed and successful is, uh, you could see it. You go like, okay, yeah, and like a successful live game, like, yeah, of course, you know, you got a social hub, you got this, like, you know, it has the pieces. And you look at it and go like, yeah, okay. I could see how Anthem could come together. Um, Redfall just doesn't seem like that style of game. And so I, I don't think there's, I, I, I don't think that they need to say, hey, we're going to fix it with Redfall because I, I think that Redfall feels like significantly less ambitious than Anthem just in terms of scope. Like it's not a, that's not a bad thing. It's just a different type of game that feels smaller. Um, and fixing Redfall, I don't think they're going to get it to a point where you play it and you go like, this is a nine out of 10. Like they're, they're not going to get it there. When they talk about fixing it, they're like, Hey, it doesn't have 60 frames per second on console. We're going to fix that problem. We're going to, you know, do what we can with, you know, probably I, I would assume they would take a look at the structure of the uh, co-op stuff and go like, you know, but, but at the same time, if they were going to make that game something you could jump in and jump out, do jump in, jump out co-op, they would have done that by now. They would have thought about that. I, surely they've thought that. Surely they've looked at him and like, oh man, it's a bummer. We don't have this. I would assume. But Redfall to me just feels like it's the the design of Red, like the the structure of it, the systems in place, the size of the game, whatever. It's just looking at it like, yeah, it's it's not that exciting. So fixing it is a shorter road with a less of a payoff, I guess, than if you were to fix Anthem. Fixing Anthem would have taken them building almost an entirely new game. And if they pulled it off. It would be a revenue generator for them for years to come. But there was so much stink on the Anthem name, they were probably right to drop it. But there's a world where they took the... Because like the guts of Anthem, like Anthem there, Anthem has some good bones. Flying feels good. Not being able to fly feels bad. They made decisions around how and when you can fly about like, oh, you overheated and you did this. That suck. Some of the weapons, some of the special abilities, when they when they proc in Anthem, you go like, oh, this, all right, there's some kind of cool shit here. There's some some decent little combat moments in Anthem. Just not enough of them. And it's completely repetitive. Start to finish. And the loot that you're getting sucks. That's a fixable problem. But it'll take you so goddamn long to get there. It'll take you so much work to get Anthem in a place and, and on the other end of it, what's the success story? Oh, Anthem's pretty good now. Oh yeah. I'm still not going to try it because everything I heard about it is it was bad. It's pretty good now. Yeah. Well, all right. Yeah. Nine other games came out since then. I don't give a fuck how good Anthem is now. You know, it would have taken them long enough to where like, I, I see like the pitch they were making to try to fix Anthem was a sound, sound solid pitch. And also, I see the EA, especially EA, right? I mean, see, I see a reason. I see why EA would go like, fuck this, man. Like, yeah, this would be cool. You know what else would be cool? Walking away from this and trying to make something else that just makes money out of the gate. Can we just fucking... Can we try to fucking just, like, put this behind us? We'll fix it up enough 
to where we say, Hey, we did the thing and then, and then walk. Um, I don't think Redfall is in the same boat as that game. I think it, it's a very different situation between those two things. Um, let's see here. Nigel in the UK asks a question that I don't know that I'm going to have the actual answer to, but it's a good question. It's, it's something we're thinking about. Considering NVIDIA and to an extent Intel is substantially ahead of, I assume he meant to write AMD here, in AI and ray tracing and path traced graphics, could you see Microsoft or Sony leveraging this tech advantage in their next consoles? This would be a big differentiating hardware factor that's been missing in the console space for a while, Games would look better and be easy to develop for in the ray traced future. So basically, you know, like the, they're going, they went AMD on the graphics this time around. Would they ever switch back to NVIDIA? Um, and that'd be, that would make those consoles significantly more expensive. Like, could you just drop a 4090 equivalent part into a modern console? Sure, you could, but the console would have to be significantly larger to handle all the heat that fucking thing generates. The price would obviously go way up. And, you know, maybe there's a middle ground somewhere in there where you don't go 4090, you go with some smaller level. But they're all trying to hit 4K. They're all trying to sit there and go like, what if we did 4K 60 with ray tracing? And you're like, well, fucking. How about no? How about you? How about we just that's what a PC is (laughs) like? That's, you know. Uh, the the power draw on that thing, the heat generated, the everything uh, on that is is gonna put that out of the price range. They put that out of range for so many reasons. So I think that's the that's the biggest problem. You know, is, is like how do you and, and then that's the problem that all the console manufacturers are constantly trying to solve is how do we get the most bang for our buck? How do we both from a just like a price per <laughs> price per frame no no but like the and this is where i'm getting a little out of my depth right because i'm not i'm not exactly the fucking hardware guy but they have to sit there and go okay we have to make a, a device that is of a reasonable size we cannot make a refrigerator that people fucking lay under their television um we have to make something that is of reasonable size and so our thermal budget how much heat can we generate how much heat can we dissipate what can we do without causing a thing that constantly overheats all the time it's why that original xbox one felt fucking hollow because their heating their cooling solution was like fucking i don't know make this thing like a vcr so it can you know has room to store the heat and dissipate it at you know without getting too loud and and whatever else um and let's not have a red ring over and over again. Uh, NVIDIA, yeah, NVIDIA is not in the CPU market, really. If they had merged, if the NVIDIA ARM merger had gone through, maybe you would see a different scenario there. Or if you went all NVIDIA, you could have your ARM-based CPU and you could have an NVIDIA GPU in there. But instead, you're kind of like, okay, like, are we going to go to Intel for a CPU and then NVIDIA for a GPU? Are we going to make our own CPU? Or are we going to go with a AMD CPU and then NVIDIA GPU like you know AMD is perfectly capable of making 
dumb, powerful fucking processors and, and all that shit. It's not that they can't do it. It's that that's the, that's not the area of the market that they're trying to stake out, whether it's for their console partners or for, you know, Hey, like we're trying to make things that we can make uh, a lot of and not be sold out all the time the way NVIDIA is. And now NVIDIA is not sold out and they're left with a bunch of fucking GPUs sitting around. Cause they're like, Oh shit. Fuck. Turns out no one wants to mine anymore. And so, yeah, do you go with Intel and then have, you know, cause Intel makes GPUs now, but that's not, you know, you know, it's not going to get you the, the level of power that we tend to associate with the NVIDIA brand at this point. Right. Um, Fat Scout in the chat here in Twitch chat says, NVIDIA bought into their own hype beast marketing bullshit and now they're paying the price. Yeah. I th- Yes. That, that scans. That I think that makes sense. Um, and so, yeah, you could. Uh, there's nothing stopping a console manufacturer from doing an NVIDIA deal. I mean, back in the, the original Xbox had some fucking weird NVIDIA part in it, right? Um but I don't necessarily see them switching to NVIDIA um, unless NVIDIA can offer them like a good price um, point for power, a, a better price point for power than AMD can. Um, and again, I, I don't necessarily think that AMD is incapable of making that high-end shit. They just don't. Like the AMD CPUs are fucking nice. Like I, I have no complaints about mine. Um... So, yeah, I don't know. You know, NVIDIA is going to target the AI market because all those CUDA cores on all of these things uh, work really great for all of that shit. Like, you can run a lot. Like, I, I can run a lot of dumb... Uh, I, I don't even like using the term AI because it's not fucking artificial intelligence. I can fucking run things that turn Vince Russo's voice into my voice uh, almost in real time on this 4090. It's crazy. <laughs> uh, there's a lot. I can I can generate images of John Cena with multiple penises at a fucking uh, an amazing clip with some of this shit. So you know, like the AI thing is going to be a thing for a while, obviously, before some weird bottom drops out of that. Um, or, or I guess like it's not that the bottom will drop out of AI. It's that all of the people that are fucking all glassy eyed about this shit. Like it's the most amazing magic technology ever. Like they're going to fucking get grounded at some point and be like, Oh, okay. Here's what this stuff is capable of. Like, it's not magic. It's not artificial intelligence. We're just building slightly better chat bots. And also this, all this weird image and music stuff like that to me is the interesting, like the, the audio stuff is, was potentially really interesting because it's just fucking weird. Marco, who is not, he's not in the chat right now. Um, but Marco trained my voice um, for use in a few different things, including Sovitz, uh, Sovitz SVC, which is the uh, thing you can use to apply someone's voice over someone else's voice to make that voice recording sound like my voice instead of their voice. And if I, I guess the implication is like, it is similar to like, if I, if I applied my voice to my voice, it would, it could theoretically be used to clean up bad audio. Like if I recorded a bunch of shitty audio, I could then much like the Adobe podcast beta that's going around. If you've seen that, you probably haven't. Um, but the, um, 
I could take bad audio of my voice and clean it up by applying my AI voice over the top of it. Um, which is interesting from like an audio cleanup perspective. That's some of the, there's a lot of podcasting tools out there that are trying to do exactly that. Um, where it's like, okay, we're going to, we're going to make a model of your voice so that we can use it to fix your voice. Um, that stuff's really exciting because sometimes you end up in a situation where you're like, this is great, but the recording is fucked and I need to fix it. And fucking RX ozone, you know, fucking the isotope tools are only going to take me so far. Um, so that stuff's pretty neat. Um, shout out to Marco for, for making that, making that happen. That's a, it's been fun to, to fuck around with. Um, but yeah, as far as Nvidia and consoles, I you know, I, I don't I don't think that the I don't know that the, the 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 benefit is sensible when we start thinking about price, when we start thinking about uh wattage and thermal load and and whatever else. Um but yeah, Nvidia, yes, that's right. That's right. The Nvidia, I mean the Switch is an ARM-based platform. The, we'll see what happens with Nintendo's next thing. Obviously, it's not going to be some super high-end part. Um, but I'm going to be very curious to see, cause you know, it, it's kind of the, the, it's, it's re-entered the conversation now that, um, tears, the kingdom is out and people are seeing how it performs and, and whatever else, like that very idea of like, okay, this game's out and now we're really ready for new hardware. Um, And what Nintendo does with that and what they can do with it, because I, I don't know what, what is replaced. Like, what is it? The NV one or what? No, what is the, well, I forget the name of the, whatever hardware platform that they're using. Um, that was, oh, the Tigra, the Tigra. Yeah. X one. The oh, so hackable, the oh, so backdoor built right in. Thanks. Nvidia special. <laughs> um, that Nintendo is such a fan of. So I actually think that this conversation is starting to reach more of a fevered pitch around because obviously, okay. So if we, if we walk through the history of the Nintendo switch as a hackable device, um, obviously those launch the, the first model of switch was something you could soft mod. You could take a paper clip and make that thing do your bidding. So when they updated that hardware, when the Switch Lite came out, when the OLED Switch came out and some of those other things, they closed some of those back doors, but the, some of that backdoor stuff is inherent to the platform. Um, and so you have the situation where the guy that was working for the mod chip um, company got sued into fucking oblivion and now his wages are going to get attached for the rest of his natural life. Because Nintendo saw fit to do that to him. Um, and I guess, you know, you could make the argument like, well, you got to make an example of somebody to stop people from fucking doing that to your stuff. But that's not, that is not the effect that will have. I think that makes Nintendo look like absolute bullies. Um, and doesn't actually solve the problem. So 
yeah, it was a federal case. So I guess, you know, yeah, it's not necessarily Nintendo putting the screws to them, but point being. Um, that said, I also think that them being in the business of like mod chip sales and the way that they built their stuff to specifically maximize profits on their mod chips is sleazy. Open source equivalents and some of the other stuff that came around, you're like, hey, that felt more right. That felt more gray area, I guess, than than anything else. So you've got a t- a two things happening. One, you've got a, a big hole blown in the Switch's security uh, right out of the gate. And the things that that lets you do in terms of dumping keys and breaking encryption and copying games and, and all of the other piracy and shit that that is enabled. And then you've got Nintendo issuing the takedown requests for lockpick, the, um, which is a piece of software designed to extract encryption keys from switch hardware. And these are keys that you would then take to use either on a hacked switch, or I believe also the emulators use those. And so Nintendo just in the past couple of weeks here, they went to GitHub and apparently issued a takedown request uh, invoking the DMCA. Um, apparently, um, on lockpick. And so you had one emulator saying, we're shutting down because we're worried. We're going to get sued. Like, okay. So you have a chilling effect on that and, and whatever else. Um, someone in chat is saying maybe, maybe that wasn't Nintendo that filed the DMCA. Yeah. I mean, there's always DMCA shenanigans and, and we, I guess they haven't really necessarily said, yes, we did this. Yes. We shut down lockpick. I don't know. Um, but that's been the word going around, but the word also going around is like, they've shut down a number of uh, repos, but yeah, all of them were forks of lockpick. So it didn't seem like they were going after a wide swath of Remember, this is in the run-up to the release of Zelda, which leaked weeks ahead of time. Um, so for everyone over at Nintendo that is skittish about sending games out early to the press, here's another good example of the press not doing that. Because your game leaked before you sent it to anyone. Um, so the... All of this kind of adds up to a like not quite a PSP like scenario, not quite a Dreamcast like scenario, because obviously the Switch is way later in its lifespan, and you know they've been selling like gangbusters. It's not I'm not going to sit here and tell you like piracy is costing them sales. Um, I'm not going to be that guy. But um, this is the sort of stuff that you look at and, and go like, okay, let's assume that Nintendo did issue the the DMCA takedown. And obviously Nintendo did, you know, put the screws to the mod chip manufacturers and and everything else. Like there's still a hole in their platform. And the way to solve that is to put out a new one. And so when we talk about like, oh, they're not factoring into any new hardware before April of next year, you actually do start to wonder like, oh, could they be rushing their way out of this generation ever so slightly just because they're sick of this. They're sick of this shit. They're sick of seeing videos 
of fucking Zelda running on a PC two weeks before release. They're like, fuck this. Like, like they're like, yeah, well, these are mistakes we made years ago. These are mistakes inherent to that Tigra platform. And that back door is that back door. And it's too late. Like the barn door is blown the fuck off right now. Ultra handed fucking off and thrown into a fucking ravine. And the only way for them to actually fix it is not going to be through DMCA requests and all of that sort of stuff. That shit's out there. It's going to be through releasing a new platform and making sure that it's actually fucking closed, <laughs> which, uh, you know, will be an enticing target for folks. I'm sure when it finally does release. Um, but I wonder if there, if we do end up seeing a switch replacement sometime next year, which I, I think just last week it said like, nah, but now that I'm thinking about it, what if, what if they're actually completely fed up with all of the discussion around this shit? And they're like, we've, we've got to, well, this has to stop. The only way for them to stop it is to issue new hardware. And then that emulation story is closed. And then the, the, the Tigra, the, whatever the hole in the, the platform that's closed and they can start fresh. Um, because it, it doesn't look, I, you know, the switch is what it is. It's aging hardware. It was not the most pop, uh, powerful thing on the market when it was released. You know, when Breath of the Wild came out, people were talking about performance and going like, ah, this ain't great. But now here we are, all these years later, still having that same conversation. And, you know, uh, but now this conversation comes with that added bullshit of people going like, you know, you know, there's a way you can run this game at 60 frames per second. And they are insufferable. These people are like, I, I, I'm, I love emulation. I've loved emulation for decades. I have uh, been interested in emulation since the goddamn 90s. Um... There was an early version when they stopped calling it multi-pack and started calling it MAME. It wasn't long after that, that it could play a little game called Mr. Do. And honestly, ever since then, um, you know, emulation has just been an amazing, an amazing, uh, development, an amazing concept. I love it. I always have. Um, but it's always been, there's always been this struggle. You know, Nintendo tried to shut down Ultra HLE when, you know, when people were were trying to emulate N64 games while N64 games were still being sold, which was a fucking disaster. Um, and now you've got that increased attention around this stuff because because of the performance issues of the Switch, people are able to frame it in this really kind of weird way where they're like, Oh, I'm buying a copy of the game, but I'm not going to play it on Switch. <laughs> How I wouldn't dare. I wouldn't deign to touch this bum hardware. You know, like like they get to be super fucking weird about it. And I think that sucks. I think that's just crummy. Um, it's interesting and cool that you can do all that shit. Like, don't get me wrong, but I don't need to hear about it every fucking five minutes. I'm well aware. I'm way more interested in knowing how this current release runs on actual switch hardware all these years later. Like that's a way more interesting story. Um, so I don't, I don't, I don't really, I don't really fuck with that stuff because I just don't really care. <laughs> it's not, uh, and so, yeah, I don't know. It, it's, it's just, a, so that, that makes me wonder what Nintendo will do next and when they will do it because we've seen just enough stuff from them. If they, if this DMCA is theirs, 
and of course the the lawsuit stuff that's that was a little older that kind of is just working its way through and and whatever else but like i'm just curious how fed up of that conversation are they and will that guide them at all in terms of solving that problem because that would have been the way out of you know like obviously sega with the dreamcast it happened to them so early and it happened to the Switch relatively early on too, but you know, Nintendo attracts such a very specific audience that is still very willing to buy all of all of that shit. And um, and so you know, like you hear all these stories about how well Tears of the Kingdom is selling. Like it's not a problem of like this is dramatically impacting the sales. I think the the stories of hey, you can run this at four K. Hey, you can do this. Hey, you can do that. Just run so against what Nintendo is about that it's not even a conversation they want to allow to happen. So that makes me wonder like, okay, let's get our new console out of the door. We'll, we'll launch with Metroid prime four on that. Fuck it. Um, or, or something like that. I wonder, you know, anything's possible in this crazy goddamn industry. I know that much. Um, but I definitely can sense this, like, uh, this this feeling, this this gut feeling of like, Nintendo wants its control back, and right now this stuff is out of their control. Right now, this is the opposite of what they want. People out there going like, people out there with these, you know, with with their like YouTube TikTok instructional video voice. Did you know you can run The Legend of Zelda at 120 frames per second? You know, like the, hey guys, today I'm here to show you. I think all that shit um, is uh, gross. And, you know, and not working in their favor. So I, I, I wonder if that would, would lead to them maybe making a move earlier. That's all. Not really a just kind of a, a weird undercurrent to all of this that makes me wonder if they would pull the trigger on a new console slightly earlier than you might think. Let's take one more question and get out of here. Carson from Maryland says, was there a specific strategic reason, reason uh, that you have always podcasted on Tuesdays? Why not Monday? Why not Wednesday? Was it based around news cycles, embargoes, release dates, or was it just fuck it? Tuesday is a good day. Um, yeah. Games used to be in stores on Tuesday. Tuesday was launch day for games. And so from an embargo perspective, like usually your review embargoes were up Tuesday morning or like Monday night or, you know, midnight or or whatever. And so having a podcast publish on Tuesday was the perfect time for review style coverage. Cause you're like, this game is out. It just came out. It's out today. And so Tuesday was always the, the perfect day for that. Um, And that's why that was when, when the hot spot started in 2000 or five, whatever it was, I think we maybe initially published on Friday for a while. I think it wasn't, I don't know, but it eventually, eventually we settled on Tuesdays for the reason of, yeah, this is, this is when, this is the day of the week when we'll have the most to talk about. Um, and and so we cemented it then and and so it shall be <laughs> games don't even come out on Tuesdays anymore uh games all come out on Fridays 
Uh, and review embargoes are spread all over the place in ways that they were not then. Uh, so the strategic uh, benefit of a Tuesday podcast has definitely been lessened over time. Um, but I still think it's the right day for it. It's just always felt right. Um, if I could pick another day, maybe I would say Thursday. Yeah, Thursday, you end up in a situation where like, if we were podcasting Thursday morning, then it would be like, eh, at 9 PM, we can talk about a new game, but not right now. Like Friday would probably actually be the right day now, but there's so much other shit that usually happens on Fridays uh, in terms of live streams and other stuff. And I think routinely my numbers, my Friday numbers are the lowest of the three days that I am streaming. Um, depending, I mean, you know, Zelda was out last week, so that's kind of a big outlier or whatever, but, um, But yeah, I, I just, Tuesday always made the most sense because of that release schedule stuff. And, uh, and that's how it always was. And, and Tuesdays were release days for games because I think they were, that was also the release days for music because everything was coming out Tuesdays. Um, and, and so video game distributors just piggybacked on the existing, like trucks were already driving to stores for Tuesday releases of music and movies and whatever else. And so games just kind of fell into that games used to just ship whenever. And there's a lot of, um, a lot of release dates from the NES era that are really hard to track down as a result because they just kind of like, they shipped the boxes to stores and said, fuck it, sell them, man. But it was always a, log a logistics thing because Tuesday was the big release day for everything else. And so video games just kind of got onto that cycle and it just happened that way. And in the UK, it was always Fridays. So you, in the UK, it was like games would ship whenever it'd be like six months later. Cause we had to translate it into nine different languages and here's the German version or whatever else. But like you would get a Tuesday release in the U S and a Friday release in the UK sometimes, but never, never the opposite. It was never out in the UK on Friday and then out on the U S and Tuesday. They never, they never prioritized that market that way. But, um, but yeah, anyway, that's why. And, uh, that's been Tuesday for us here. Thanks everybody for hanging out. If you're watching live, uh, thanks everybody for listening. If you're listening, not live, which most of you are, most of you are not live and you are listening. So that is statistically the truth. Um, anyway, what else, man? I, I, um, I don't know what we're going to do this week. It's like all there are, there are all the games came out and now there's a weird lull until, uh, well, I don't know what those, I mean, street fighters out pretty soon. Diablo's out pretty soon. Um, but I don't know what's out between here and there. I've got a few kind of smaller things, but they are not, not Zelda level bangers, but yeah, we'll stream some games Wednesday. We'll stream some games on Friday. Maybe we'll get back to some old games. Maybe I got to, maybe I should start brushing up on some, uh, some fighting game stuff here before, uh, before street fighter six is upon us. I don't know. Anyway, I'm going to take off. Everybody have a tremendous rest of your week and, uh, so on and so forth. I'll be back with you next Tuesday with another edition of this God dang podcast. Hey guys, I'm here to show you what's this weird console. It's the Sega Genesis. Did you know Sonic the Hedgehog originated on a little-known console called the Sega Genesis? It's true. Here's a tip. If you did you know 
In Super Mario Brothers, if you hold down the A button and press start at the title screen, you can continue from the world you were in last. Like and follow for more. It's going to be the death of me. It's going to be the death of me. It's not that it makes me feel old. It's I just watch it and look at and look at all those videos on TikTok and go, yeah, no shit. Yeah, of course. It's ob- yeah, right? God damn it. <laughs> See everybody next week.